Welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss video stores so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-host Kira Jade Opitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. This is Weird Kid Video. Guest business. Today, the role of Kira is being played by Jody. Hi. And the part of Brody is being played by Kira. Hi. <laughs> back. I'm back for one special episode. One night only. This is not the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> no, it is not the Blair this Witch Project. This is not my official return. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Neither Adam or Brody were available because of their busy lives and, you know, fuck them. So we invited my pen pal. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to talk about how we know Jody? Um, Jody can uh, tell us I how we know. I hijacked Kira from being my sister's friend and I'm like, no, no, yeah. my friend. How yeah. you? Her older sister was was my friend in kindergarten. They moved away. Our parents, I guess, because I, I can't believe it was our idea, um, <laughs> set us up as pen pals. And then for years we would visit each other on holidays and stuff. And uh, then many years later uh, we caught up for some random reason. I can't even remember why. And then we've been friends ever since. <laughs> yeah. And then our mystery third guest has made himself known. <laughs> you missed your cue, buddy. It's the Baba. It's only here for the introduction. Just so that you could hear some baby sounds. Yeah. But yes, he's here. Not lying. He has also watched the movie to at least twice and he had a good time. A few times. Yep. What's, your, what's your opinion, Nate? Okay. Oh, no, very, not good. Very, okay. Honestly, I'm so excited for Estrogen Pod. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us ladies today. It's just been too many dudes on this podcast. Yeah. It's been a problem. Very bro energy. But in order to keep the gender balance accurate, I might um, take my son upstairs yep. to be uh, babysat. So I'll be right back. Ah. Your cable TV is experiencing difficulties. Please do not panic. Resist the temptation to read or talk to loved ones. Do not attempt sexual relations as years of TV radiation have left your genitals withered and useless. Well, I'll be damned. I have returned. Sans baby. Old business? I don't have any old business. Yeah, no, no Kira doesn't. Kira doesn't <laughs> even listen to the podcast anymore. Hey, I do too. Sure. I do. Have I you do. listened to Highlander Part 1? I've listened to Highlander Part 1, yes. Highlander Part 2 is not out yet. Which means In that I have not... In our universe. Yes, no, I have not heard that part. Mm. But I, I did partially watch Highlander 2. Mm. The weird alien nonsense is entertaining. Okay, good times. Uh, new business. I haven't done this in a while. I don't know what <laughs> Jesus Christ. So everybody's forgotten how to podcast except me. I mean, Jody's, Jody's not, not done this before. Podcast. Yeah, okay. Hi. Hi. New business. Today, we're headed into the woods for a weekend away with friends filled with fun, romance, and ancient Kandarian demons trying to swallow our souls. We're talking about Evil Dead, the ultimate experience in grueling horror from 1983. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected is sure to come calling for me. got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. 
Starts Friday at these theaters. Check your newspaper for times. You sent us this tape. I did. Why did. did you send us this tape? Uh, because, uh, sorry, my partner is obsessed with this series. I think the only thing he hadn't watched was the little, like, uh, what is it, Within the Woods, the like, little teaser that they made. Which I'm going to talk about. Yeah. I did watch that. That's the only homework I did, I swear. <laughs> I did watch that. <laughs> Again, because it's the only thing that um, Cam hadn't watched. Are you, <laughs> are you, because obviously you've not been on the podcast before, but so mm-hmm. are you, like, into horror as Evil Dead, kind of like your vibe, without giving away how you feel about the movie? I'm not, I'm not super good with horror. I like some horror. Like, uh, from a young age, me and my sister would watch, like, The Grudge, The Eye. That would probably you know, way too old for me to be watching, but I somehow survived that. Well, that is the same with the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I definitely like a lot more of, like, the comedy horror. So The Evil Dead 2 is where my first Evil Dead movie. But, yeah, a lot of the, more of the comedy horror is where I'm at. I'm not much of a horror horror person. Mm. So taking it back to this one where it is more of a classic horror was like, oh, there's a lot of the references I know that aren't in this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Written and directed by Sam Raimi. There was a period of time before Spider-Man, where I would have counted Raimi as one of my favorite directors of all time. Oh, really? Like, absolutely, positively. If you had asked me my favorite directors, he would definitely be on that be on that list. Spider-Man ruined it for you. I'm not a superhero guy, uh, so yeah, totally. Okay, yeah. yeah. Basically, everything he's made in the 2000s, I'm not a big fan of. After the first Evil Dead, he directed Crime Wave, Evil Dead 2, Dark Man, which we have rejected <laughs> off the pick list, <laughs> Army of Darkness, The Quick and the Dead, which might be my favorite Western of all time. A Simple Plan, which is a kind of a gear shift for him. It's kind of more like a, um, it's a thriller and it's way more kind of serious. It has a, a little bit less. I have less. not seen that movie, but when I was a teenager, one of my favorite bands was a band named Simple oh, Plan. <laughs> and so whenever I would Google Simple Plan <laughs> that movie as a teenager, that movie would come up. So like, like if I was Im- Googling like images of Simple Plan, I'd get a whole bunch of images of the emo boys that I was looking for. And Bill and, Paxton. And then, and then Bill Paxton. <laughs> and Bill Paxton. Was, and now was, you know who Bill Paxton is. And I had no idea what the movie was or who Bill Paxton was, but it was always just this one one movie poster in the midst of all of the Simple Plan nonsense that I was looking for. Yeah, Did it's you? a good movie. We should watch that movie. Was the band probably named after the movie or was it just like coincidence? I think it was name? probably just coincidence. I think it's just a turn of phrase. Yeah. 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 Uh, for the love of the game, Kevin Costner baseball movie that I've actually never seen, which is like Kevin Costner baseball and Sam Raimi. Why have I not seen that movie? Yeah. I don't have an answer. <laughs> Did you g- not know it existed? No, I know that it existed. I think it looked smaltzy and I don't really do sentimental very much. So the father of a child. <laughs> Listen. Okay. Gonna have to grow into it, bud. Jody, no, he's gooey on the inside. Jody's gotta go. <laughs> um, the Gift, a supernatural thriller with Kate Blanchett. It's one of her first American movies in which Keanu Reeves gives the best performance of his career as a violent, abusive redneck. Have I seen that? I don't know, but it's great. Katie Holmes is in that movie. See, that makes me think I would have seen it, but I don't know whether I've ever seen Keanu be a bad person. He is terrifying in that movie. Like physically, he uses that physical acting thing that he has to like be intimidating in a way that is like, holy shit, I didn't know you had that in you. It's great. You need it's to watch not that a big, one. It's not a big role, but yeah, we should definitely watch that movie. I think, I think it falls just ever so slightly out of our timeline for the podcast, so we can just watch that for fun. Yay. Yeah. And then, yeah, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. With Tobey Maguire. Just not my thing. Just not my thing. He did make a very brief return to horror. He made a PG horror movie called Drag Me to Hell, which is a great time. That's a really good movie. And then he hasn't made a lot of movies in the past. After Spider-Man and Drag Me to Hell, he hasn't really made a lot of movies. He made Oz the Great and Powerful, which, Mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, And then, you know, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse Mm. of Madness, which I never saw and I'm never going to see because... 
I exited that a long time ago. I'd love for him to return to horror. I'd love for him to do something original again. Not even just horror. I just want him to do something that is his brand of movie making, but they just don't let him. Like, they're kind of, mm. I know that people that did see the Doctor Strange movie were like, there's like 10 minutes where it feels like Sam Raimi and then the rest of it just feels like a Marvel movie. And yeah, it's like, why would you- 100% agree with that. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't yeah. know why you would hire Sam Raimi and not let him do Sam Raimi. Uh, aside from directing, he and his producing partner, Robert Tappet, have produced a bunch of movies that I love. He produced Time Cop, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hard Target, also with Jean-Claude Van Damme. That is John Woo's first American movie. Nice. Massive John Woo fan. Sam Raimi was actually hired by the producers of that movie to shadow John Woo because they were afraid that they might have to replace him because it was his first English language movie. Oh. And Sam Raimi ended up being like the biggest defender of John Woo oh. <laughs> during the making of that movie. Like he backed him to the produ- to the producers. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and that movie is wild. That movie is a great time. 30 Days of Night, The Grudge. Mm. He produced the American version of The Grudge. He's one of the producers on that. Hercules and Xena. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Robert Tappert is married to Lucy Lawless. Zena. Right. Okay. Yeah, which is fantastic. They also produced a short-lived TV show called American Gothic that I was obsessed with as a child. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Fridays this fall on CBS, American Gothic. It only lasted one season. At the center of that is a small child played by a Lucas Black, who is Sean in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. <laughs> okay. And then obviously starring Bruce Campbell as Ashley J. Williams, Ash Williams. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk more a little bit about how he got started later, but Evil Dead is his first movie. Uh, Campbell's obviously like a horror icon, right? Aside from Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and the TV show, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which I've been watching because we delayed recording this podcast by a week. So I've seen the entire first season of that show. I had seen a couple of episodes and it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. Have you seen any of that? I watched the first season or maybe two. And apart from that, I just jumped in, like see it sort of occasionally when Cam was watching it. Yeah. Um, so I know the main, the central core cast. And then yeah. when, um, is it Lisa Lawless who comes Lucy in? Lucy Lawless yeah. is yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's in it yeah. as well. When she came in, I'm like, that's about where I'm like, where I started to lose my focus when it was just jumping in and out. And it's also shot in New Zealand. All oh, right. Yeah. Because those boys, Robert Tappert and Lucy Lawless, basically set up shop in New Zealand. The new Evil Dead movie shot in New Zealand. Right. I didn't yeah. know that. Either. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Aside from the Evil Dead stuff, Maniac Cop 1 and 2, which are totally on the list. Hudsucker Proxy with the Coen Brothers, uh, a movie that Sam Raimi was a co writer on. Congo, John Carpenter's Escape from LA, Baba Hotep. Have you guys heard of Bubba Hotep? No. Oh, Jody. It sounds I'm familiar, so excited. I'm not sure. I wonder if Cam knows Bubba Hotep. Because if he likes so Evil if he likes probably. Evil Dead, he probably has, right? It is Bruce Campbell as Elvis, who did not die. Oh my gosh. In a nursing home as an old man. Uh, okay. His roommate is JFK, <laughs> who also did not die, who is played by Ozzy Davis, a black man. Yep. Okay. And they fight a mummy. Of course I was they do. Where the was going to come in. <laughs> it is incredible. It's an incredible piece of cult cinema. They almost made a sequel that was going to be called Boba Nosferatu, <laughs> but it never. But it never happened. Oh, shame. Yeah, and many, many more. He's also a producer on the remake of Evil Dead from 2013 and Evil Dead Rise, which literally just came out. He also shows up in Hercules and Xena. He's in both of those both of those shows. The Adventures of Briscoe County Junior show that I liked as a kid that only ran one season. And yeah, 
Bruce Campbell's the man. Ellen Sandweiss as Cheryl Williams, his sister. After the, this movie, she stopped acting for 20 years. Can't imagine why. <laughs> I, no, I wonder, no, I wonder oh why. God. <laughs> um, she did some, she has returned and done some horror movies and cameos in Sam Raimi's projects. Um, apparently she does show up in Ash vs. Evil Dead. I think it might just be her voice though. She's credited. I'm not sure if she's actually in it. Hal Delrich as Scott, Scotty, not his real name. His real name is Richard Dimenicor. Sarah York as Shelley, not her real name. Her real name is Teresa Tilly. They're both SAG actors. Okay. And this was a non-union film. So they just put a different name on <laughs> they it. They used fake names. But SAG found out they were in the movie and fined them. Oof. Okay. I wouldn't have thought that that was a way to get around that. Oh, well, I mean, it apparently it wasn't. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not. And Betsy Baker as Linda, she also took a big break from acting after this movie, um, but to raise her kids. Mm. And then she returned to acting in 2007, but mostly with like single episode guest roles on television. So really of the cast, Bruce Campbell's the only one that continued to do stuff. Right. Um, everybody else was amateur or or the edge of semi-professional actors. They'd done some stuff, but yeah. Trailers, no trailer. Retail tape, so mm. no trailers. That's disappointing. Mm. I'm nice sorry I let trailers. you down. <laughs> it's okay. We have so much to talk about that no trailers is, is fine. <laughs> Do we make Jody recap the premise of Evil Dead? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Huh, all right. Sorry. Um, did you think about this? No, I okay. forgot until, you, until we did the new business. I'm like, oh, shit, that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, so a group of five you, the teenage young adults. I don't know. It's hard to tell ages in these kind of movies. A bunch of a gang of teens go to a cabin. You just laughed at me for saying teens again. <laughs> you can see how difficult this is. Yeah. Okay. A group of youths. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I don't need to make. I don't need to make eye contact. I'm going to stare at the wall. I'm just going to look over here. Yep. Uh, a group of youths stay in a cabin and uh, read through a haunted book and demons. Bad shit happens. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. It's still better than Brody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The blockbuster entertainment guide to movies and videos from the year 1998, Evil Dead. An evil force is out to destroy four friends on vacation in the woods. Beautifully balances jokes with some of the scariest and grossest moments in horror history, particularly involving a possessed woman in the basement. Four stars. Did that say four friends? Yes, it did. Well, there, it's, it's often wrong. <laughs> this book is often wrong. I was like, I'm pretty sure I can count. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, no, there's five of them. So my backstory with The Evil Dead, I saw Army of Darkness first because I was the right age for that movie when it came out. It's the third movie. The original title of that movie, Medieval Dead. They wouldn't let them use it. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. It's, that movie makes me giggle like a child. Kira and I have watched that movie, I think, within the last year. Yeah. Yeah, and I just giggled the entire time. It's got skeletons that <laughs> laugh. It's, it's, like, full of so many of my favourite, like, things in terms of, like, film technique, matte paintings and 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 makeup effects and stop-motion skeletons and, and puppeted skeletons and uh, so many skeletons. I, I, think it's, skeletons. <laughs> I think it's also, like, the most quotable one, for sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where the, the boomstick line mm. comes from and... Yeah, all of the yeah. Totally. Hail to the king! Hail to the king! Yeah, baby. yeah. <laughs> there's a line that is in that movie where oh, I can't remember the female character's name. She comes into into where he's staying and he yells at her to close the door. Were you born in a barn? And then he just mutters to himself, "Probably were." Born in a barn. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of so many funny lines. I remember the cover of Evil Dead Two from the video store when I was a small child because it was terrifying. It's a skull with human eyeballs still in its head looking at you it does that does not appear in the motion picture 
<laughs> but as a kid, it freaked me out. When I went into the horror aisle, I would not make eye contact with that skull. <laughs> but then I saw Evil Dead 2 on VHS when I was a, when I was a teenager. Loved it. It's a masterpiece of weird, of weird horror. My source for this episode is a book. I should have brought it with me. Actually, it's in the other room. Is a book called The Evil Dead Companion by Bill Warren that I convinced my mother to buy for me when I was like 17 or 18. That is a surprisingly appropriate age. <laughs> I know, right? That book is foundational in the road to me wanting to be a filmmaker because it's a detailed history of the making of the first three movies. It focuses mostly on the first movie because that's what the, they had more to talk about. And it set my brain on fire because the story of Evil Dead is the story of a bunch of friends that go into the woods and come back with a movie. Like, it is insane. Like, it's just, I'm going to tell you things that are just, you'll shake your heads and hopefully make, you know, human audio noises as well because of the podcast. <laughs> it was the exact same thing I was doing with my friends with the shitty camcorder, like going into the bush behind my house and making sh and making shorts, right? I even started and never finished my own Evil Dead knockoff nice. with a witch, like a witch hag mask thing that I had. Production was stopped when we had run an extension cable all the way from my house into the bush. We went to go do something and we come back. The extension cable was gone. Somebody had stolen the extension cable. Oh, no. Yeah. So that kind of ruined that production. I had not seen Evil Dead because Evil Dead was not widely available in Australia when I was a child. Right. Maybe if you were lucky, your video store had a copy of it, an old battered copy of it. None of our local video stores had a copy of Evil Dead. They had Evil Dead 2 and then they had Army of Darkness. I remember reading about Evil Dead in Empire magazine and hearing that a company called Anchor Bay was releasing it on DVD in 1999. The rumor was that the box was shaped like the Necronomicon. <laughs> there was an import DVD place that had opened in town. It only lasted for about a year or so. And I would go in there all the time and bug the clerk about when he was getting that DVD. And it never happened. Aww. It wasn't until I worked in the video store <laughs> in 2001 that Evil Dead was finally released on DVD in Australia and I was able to see the movie. So I didn't see this movie until 2001. So I'm assuming that the case wasn't shaped like the Necronomicon? No, it was just a regular DVD case. Were you disappointed? Yes. I was a sad I would boy. Be. Did you want to be able to like slice open your finger with some blood to open it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, let's be honest about it. I would have raised those demons. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you would have done it intentionally. Yeah. Nowadays, it can be rented and bought digitally pretty much everywhere. There's a pretty great Blu-ray and there's a 4K disc. You can just Yahoo it if you want to find it. And now I'm going to tell you a tale before we get into the rest of the movie. Again, similar to Highlander, which neither of you were on, the making of the movie is almost as interesting as the movie itself. So I'm going to talk a lot today about how it even happened, right? So Sam Raimi grew up in and around Detroit, Michigan in the 1960s and 70s. He's the fourth of five kids. Uh, his older brother, Ivan, and his younger brother, Ted, both play a role in this story. Ted Raimi has since gone on to be an actor. He shows up in all kinds of things. He's in the, the video game The Quarry. Oh, oh yeah, no, I, I knew that. Yeah. I played. Yeah. yeah, he's great in that. He's, he's the so good. he's the cop in that. Yeah. He's the oh, sheriff right. in that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's Sam's younger brother, Ted Raimi. Oh, okay. He shows up in all kinds of things. That was that was a good game. We oh, enjoyed that. Such a cool game. Yeah, we had a great I'm, time. I'm still mad at that game though because we nearly had a perfect ending except that the, the um, reactive triggers. Oh no! I didn't press far enough. No, we. Karen oh. and I fucked up real bad. <laughs> yeah, we fucked up. We real basically bad. played. We picked characters that we each we like split the characters and we made poor choices. <laughs> Yeah. Not everybody made it. So Sam Raimi's father owned a 
Super 8 film camera and would make home movies. Sometimes, instead of putting everything in the order that he shot it, he would put things out of order to create strange effects. And that enchanted Sam Raimi. (laughs) The idea of being able to edit and do magic tricks, essentially, with a camera. And so he started making short 8mm films when he was really young. He was, like, really young. His first short film is called Out West. It is a Western that was shot in a friend's basement, entirely in a friend's basement, and already had gunfights in it, nice. like with cap guns right. and stunts <laughs> as children. That's adorable. Yeah. In junior high and high school, he went to the same school as Bruce Campbell. Bruce's first memory of Sam is walking down a hallway and there is Sam dressed as Sherlock Holmes <laughs> playing with dolls <laughs> in the middle of the hall. And Bruce just remembers just keep walking, just walking straight past him. <laughs> Bruce and a buddy of his were also already making short films. They were making mostly like World War II pictures. They met another kid, Scott Spiegel, who was also making <laughs> making films. And he had a friend named Josh Becker, who also worked on Evil Dead, and will end up playing a vital role in the, in the making of that movie. Spiegel had a mini studio set up in his house. Nice. He would actually build sets and <laughs> had an area for editing. He had a little edit suite <laughs> and had sealed off part of his basement his parents' basement to create a projection booth so that they could show their movies without the sound of the projector. As children in junior (laughs) high school. Junior high school is like year seven. Year seven and eight in Australia, yeah. Right. Australian content one. Just because I like putting it in. (laughs) Yeah, because I can never remember what years junior high is. So Bruce's parents were pretty heavily involved in local theatre. Bruce's dad worked in advertising, um, but Bruce ended up on stage when he was pretty young, which gave him access to costumes and props from the theatre. So they were able to use those in their short films. Nice. So Bruce and Sam didn't actually meet each other properly until they were in drama cast together when they were like 15 or 16. And then Sam and his friends joined with Bruce, Scott Spiegel and Josh Becker. And so you have like a dozen or so kids that were all making shorts together. Everybody's doing everything, writing, act, like writing, acting, directing, costumes, props, stunts. You probably already said, but where in America is this? Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, right. Yeah, around Detroit in the suburbs of Detroit. It's just crazy for all these people to have ended up in the same school. <laughs> it's just kind of the era, right? It's like the right time, right place for all yeah. these kids, right? So Bruce and Scott were massive Three Stooges fans, which is very clear moving forward in the Evil Dead movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they introduced Sam to the Three Stooges. Uh, end up forming a film society nice. <laughs> at school where they would screen things. And then they ended up having their stuff screened on television because they became friends with the local horror movie host, The Ghoul, oh, who nice. even had them on the show and interviewed them when they were teenagers well, and showed their shorts. Adorable. That's amazing. How Can great? you find footage of that online? Oh, I will have a look. They weren't all actually the same age. Bruce is actually and Scott are actually older than Sam. So they went to college first while Sam was still in high school. Scott had to drop out of college after about a year to help his family. I'm not entirely sure why, but that's just what I read in the book. Bruce was acting in theater as much as he could and did some college, but through his dad ended up getting a job with a guy that made TV commercials. He ended up learning lots about how to make stuff. He, he made TV commercials for, for a couple of years. When Sam finally went to college the next year, it was further away, but it was at the same college that his older brother, Ivan, was studying medicine at. Ivan's roommate was Rob Tappet who would become their producing their producing partner. Tabbitt was studying business. He and Sam became friends and Rob suggested that they make a short film together. They made a movie called The Happy Valley Kid. 
they had also started a film festival at the college that would play films seasonally and they were drawing kind of a crowd out of it. So they decided to actually show the Happy Valley Kid and charge admission. It played for 14 weeks and they made a profit off it. Nice. Which they, of course, just rolled back into making other movies. They had made that one mostly without Bruce because Bruce wasn't around. He had a real had a real job. But soon all of them kind of got back together and they made another short film called It's Murder. For that short, they brought in a friend of a friend, Tom Sullivan, to do some makeup effects. And he would go on to work on Evil Dead. So they're kind of like building the team, putting everybody together. Did you guys notice a peculiar type of credit in The Evil Dead or in any of Sam Raimi's other work? Peculiar credit. Like Not a strange really? set of words. I had, we were watching it quite late, so we didn't watch the whole credits. So. <laughs> Rude. I did watch the whole credits because otherwise I'd get a divorce. But <laughs> I didn't notice anything unusual. You didn't see the word fake shamps. I did not. I did look it up. I did see that a lot when I was looking up, the, checking the character names, double checking how the right ladies yeah. Right names. So you saw a lot of fake yes. champs. Okay. So anyone that's ever attempted to make a short film with their friends will know how unreliable they can be. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Kira's already thinks she's figured it out. Not showing up or having to leave early. Those boys did not let that get in the way of them finishing things. So if somebody couldn't show up, they would just get somebody else to put on the costume. Even if it was a female role, the boys would just dress up as women and they would just film. They'd just shoot it. And pretty much every single one of their movies has fake champs in it which means somebody else wearing the costume pretending to be that character. Shemp Howard is one of the original Three Stooges with his brothers. They shot their movies in batches, meaning that they would shoot four or five movies at a a time. Well, Shemp Howard died while they were filming a batch of films. Oh, no. (laughs) So for multiple films, I had scenes where they needed Shemp, but he's not there. So they had other actors play him hid his face and then cut in lines from other movies to fill in his role. The boys spotted that because they were interested in how films were made and thus fake champs were born. Okay. (laughs) It's Murder is the first movie to credit fake champs. Right. Which is why I bring it up. By the way, they've not made a horror movie yet. They're not into horror. They're into slapstick comedy. Right. It's Murder isn't, isn't horror. No, it's a comedy movie. It's like a broad comedy movie with a detective trying to solve a case. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Scott Spiegel was into like classic horror, you know, like the universal monsters and stuff. Sam was too scared to watch horror movies. He didn't like them at all. And then in 1978 on a Tuesday night, Sam and Rob have got nothing to do. So they go to the movies on their own. They see a horror picture that's just opened. They're the only two people in a theater. What's the movie? 1978. Halloween? Yes. It's John Carpenter's Halloween. Nice. Halloween. I think he'll come back. (laughs) Halloween. The night he came home. They like it. Afterwards, Rob asks Sam if he thinks he could make a movie that good. Sam's like, yeah, I think I could, but that movie was really good. The next weekend, Sam goes and sees it again, but this time on a date and the house is packed and they scream the entire goddamn time. (laughs) Sam goes back to Rob and says, I think we need to make a horror picture. (laughs) So Halloween inspired Sam Raimi to make Evil Dead. Nice. That's a Venn diagram of my interests. 
Yes, it is. So Sam basically... Seeing a horror movie alone in a theatre is the scariest way to see a horror movie. I don't think so. I think alone in your house is scary. Oh, yeah. Especially alone, if it's, it's like a haunted alone. house thing. You're like... You're yeah, if it's a haunted again. house thing. Yeah, that, that, that is true. That but was something like, about being alone in a cinema is a bit creepy. So yeah, Sam goes to work studying horror. He watches Romero's Night of the Living Dead, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. He develops what he sees are the three rules of horror. Ooh, the rules. Sam Raimi's three rules of horror. One, the innocent must suffer. Two, the guilty must be punished. Three, the hero must taste blood to be a man. Ew. Okay. That gets a bit too literal. <laughs> In this movie, yeah. Scott encourages Sam to make a horror movie, but he can't be involved because of his family commitments. So he's not involved with Evil Dead to begin with, but he did work on the movie in post-production. He'd go on to co-write Evil Dead 2 with Sam and a bunch of, a bunch of other horror movies. He directed the director video sequel to From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money. So does Sam like horror movies now? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) He's just studying them. Rob starts pushing Sam not to just make another short, to make a feature film, like a real movie that can be played in theatres. Like the idea of that is like so foreign to them, it's ridiculous. But Sam decides that if he combines some ideas from other movies he's seen, some of the stuff he learned in college about ancient Samaria, a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft, and he writes a movie called Book of the Dead. Right. That is the title that they shot, edited, and even premiered the movie with. Nice. Sam tests out what he's learnt on a little suspense short film called Clockwork. Before they made Clockwork, everybody chipped in with everything. Like everybody directed, everybody did some camera stuff, everybody did some some acting. This is the first short that they made where Sam just takes the reins. He's just in, he's in charge. He starts experimenting with wild camera movement and all kinds of stuff that he's never done, that he's never done before. Rob talks to his family lawyer, Phil Gillis, and he helps them put together a prospectus and a business case for Book of the Dead and helps them form a company, Renaissance Pictures, which they still use that company to make, to make stuff. They decide to make another short to sell the concept of the movie and they make Within the Woods. That's, I did watch that. What did you think of it? I there were some parts I really like enjoyed that you see come back in the later ones. I especially love that. I was like, oh, there's that, there's that angle, there's that scene, there's that shot, there's that concept being reused. And so yeah, you can see him like testing stuff out. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not it's not great, but it's but it's interesting. Phil, the lawyer who helped them put the business plan together, is the first investor in the Evil Dead. He and his business partner also puts in, and he would ultimately end up putting in about a hundred grand by the time that they were done. The boys put on suits, buy themselves briefcases. Just walking with empty briefcases just a little Basically, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> they are three kids in a suit pretending to do business. Yeah. Hello, other grown-up. Vincent Adultman, how are things at the old nine-to-five? Good. I went to the stock market today. I did a business. They want to raise about 150 grand, which is what they think they need. Local businessman, a dentist, a doctor. They put it all together. They don't get as much as they wanted to finish the whole movie, but they get enough that they could probably shoot it. They raise about $85,000, right? Plans to shoot it on a 16 millimeter film because it's cheaper to blow up to 35 millimeter once it's done. And they find a local guy, Tim Philo, who shoots on 16 millimeter film and can, and has access to cameras. So he comes on, comes on board. Josh Becker, their childhood friend, uh, he had actually gone out to LA and worked on worked in the industry. 
he comes back to work on the to work on the movie. Josh is an interesting character because he wrote a diary for almost every day of the Evil Dead, but he is very jealous of the fact that he is not directing Evil Dead. So he's an interesting source of information. Interesting. Yeah. Did he, he would have. Did he would he eventually go. This diary? No, but it's used as basis of the Evil Dead companion. There's lots of information, right. okay. f- all from his diary in it. He would. All, he would go on to direct horror movies, mostly fairly slocky stuff. Nothing on the level of um of Evil Dead. And uh, Sam did produce some stuff with him. Uh, I think his first movie was called Thou Shall Not Kill. Except uh, initially they were going to shoot in Michigan. But they decided to head south to Tennessee where it would be warmer and they'd have a better chance of finding the cabin that they needed and the woods and everything. They scouted down there, budgeted, cast and built a crew. The plan is for them to shoot for six weeks with the actors getting 100 bucks a week, the crew getting 40 bucks a week, Josh Becker because he was experienced getting 50 bucks a week and Sam, Rob and Bruce and the other kind of partners in the in the business getting $35 a week, which they never took. They always just rolled mm-hmm. it back into, into the movie and they head off into the woods to make uh, Book of the Dead. Nice. That sounds like a fun time. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. Really? Going into the woods with your friends to make a feature. You just want to talk about Blair Wish Project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day. One day. It'll come. One day. One day. That's yeah. what they did and it was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Janet Maslin of the New York Times is Vincent Canby of the New York Times. And in April of 1983, he wrote, this is such a fucking long review, and I I cut it down and I'm coming into it late. People who make films must be a pitch person first. They must be able to go out and sell themselves and their ideas to strangers. Then once the film is made, the movie maker must be able to, in industry terminology, to sell it, to get someone to put it in theaters and then persuade people to come to those theaters in huge numbers. It makes no difference if a movie is great if no one sees it. These thoughts are prompted by the appearance in New York last week of something called The Evil Dead, a horror movie that is indeed not only not much different from a number of other horror movies, but in many ways an ingenious imitation of a couple of very successful ones. It is written and directed by a young man from Detroit, Sam Remy, who was 22 at the time it was made and had no previous connection to the movies. On Sunday afternoon, when I tried to catch it, there were lines stretching down the block from 42nd Street and a 45-minute wait for seating. It was immediately apparent that Mr. Remy and his associates, whether or not they are movie makers, are medicine men in the great American show business tradition. How had they done it? First, there was the advertising blitz, the outrageous kind that should warm the heart of anyone with a fondness for con artists and showmen, real and fictional, who have made this country, if not great, a little bit more colourful. It proclaims the full-page newspaper ad that ran on the day The Evil Dead opened, the most ferociously original horror movie of the year, signed Stephen King. Furthermore, the story of Evil Dead, or what is breezily presented as its story, is a kind of homemade variation on Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. These two highly successful horror films directed by Pittsburgh-based filmmaker George Romero. Fucking massive long cap, uh, recap, and then coming, long cap, long, it's a long cap, and then coming back into the end of the review. Whether or not Mr. Raimi is a great filmmaker, or even a competent one, only further movies will tell. However, I'm sure there will be further movies. This kind of chutzpah will not go unremarked in Hollywood. There are times when you have the feeling that the Evil Dead was photographed, or set up to be photographed in 3D. There are a number of otherwise extraneous shots of objects tossed directly at the camera. Even more important, though, is one aspect of the film which perhaps Mr. Raimi couldn't have even couldn't have even known it possessed unless he saw it in a theatre with paying customers. It's a great audience participation film. That's a long line to get in to see this movie. Yes. Yeah, I like how they're just like, oh, this is an amazing line. We'll see if they're any good. I'm like, oh, <laughs> It's Vincent Campy, the New York Times. <laughs> the man is... Always putting on airs. <laughs> but he's right in the sense that, like, how does it get the, that much? How does it get that much? That much hype. How do we even know about the Evil Dead? How do people know about how it? How do we know about out? the Evil yeah. Dead, right? 
Normally, this is where I talk about box office, but I'm going to talk about how we know about the Evil Dead here, and then I'll talk about its context within the box office, right? So, yeah, it's a low-budget horror movie made by kids from Detroit that don't know anybody in the film business. It's like nothing else being made in horror, despite what Campy says. I think the Night of the Living Dead comparison is very surface. It is people in a house being attacked by something, but that's like the only real kind of comparison. One thing Campy is right about is the showman aspect of Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi knows how to sell the hell out of a picture. He knows that I'm calling it a picture because that's what Sam Raimi calls everything he's ever made. He makes pictures. Nice. Yeah. So they finish making the movie and they have a premiere screening in Detroit in October of 1981. Raimi is a massive fan of gimmick filmmaker William Castle. No, you wouldn't know William Castle. You might have seen some of the remakes of William Castle movies by a company called Dark Castle in the early 2000s, 13 Ghosts. I've heard of Dark Castle. Yeah, yeah same. <laughs> right. Castle made B pictures in the 1950s and he always had a gimmick to attract people. Like for the movie The Tingler with Vincent Price. I've heard this story. Yeah. During the movie, Vincent Price warns the people in the theatre that The Tingler has escaped into the movie theatre. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. The tingler is loose in this theater, and if you don't scream, it may kill you. back of the room a teenager flicks some switches and there are wired random seats in the theater <laughs> that then put electrical vaults into the backsides of the audience so the audience starts screaming that the tingler got them that sounds like an incredibly safe idea <laughs> yep. so not and another movie called immersion vision where a skeleton flew across the theater he did this thing where he got people to sign uh, life insurance policies as they came into the theater and had ambulances out the front. And so Sam takes inspiration from William Castle and has ambulances out the front of the Evil Dead premiere in 1981. <laughs> Thousands of people show up to the screening. The investors are there. And while the investors did not enjoy the motion picture, <laughs> the screaming crowd made them feel like they might probably get their money back. Mm. But that's one theater on one night in Detroit and they have no distribution deal of any kind, and they know nobody who works in the, in the film industry. They all have to get part-time jobs. Sam starts taking the movie to anyone who's even lightly connected with the industry and tries to convince them to watch it. Literally just shoe leather, like carrying film cans under his arms, <laughs> walking into a place and going, would you like to see my picture? <laughs> that is one way to sell a film. He ends up talking to a man named Ivan Shapiro, Shapiro who distributed Night of the Living Dead. Shapiro watches the movie and tells him, it's no gone with the wind, kid, but it might make some money. (laughs) So he comes on board to try and sell it to other distributors. He wants to change the name of the movie. Doesn't like the name of the movie. And so as Sam puts it, they picked The Evil Dead because it was the least worst option. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't even know how much involvement they had in picking the name of the movie, which is hilarious considering that it is now a brand that continues to this day. Yeah. Shapiro is also one of the founders of the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, All right. Nice. So Evil Dead screens at Cannes in 1983 out of competition. In the audience is Stephen King. Ah. 
who loves it and becomes one of the movie's biggest advocates. And they put his quote on the poster. Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. I was half expecting that quote to not be, know, tr- not be real. Not be real. No, Stephen King legitimately <laughs> sold the movie at Cannes and was like, this is great. Well, that's good. I'm glad they didn't lie about Stephen yeah. King. Yeah. So the first place that buys the movie is a distributor in the UK. It does great there on the back of a pretty big marketing campaign. Critics start raving about it. It starts showing up in Fangoria magazine back in the United States, writing about this movie that's coming, but it's still not like straight away. New Line Cinema ends up picking it up for distribution in the US and they give Remy and co enough money to pay back their investors. New Line does something that had never been done before with Evil Dead, which is they release it in cinemas and simultaneously on VHS, which now they tried that for a little while. And then they realize that they're really just eating their own lunch money. Yeah. yeah. They're definitely not helping the cinema there. <laughs> no. Does okay, but not great in the US. But it does really well in Europe. The investors eventually end up making back five times what they put in. Wow. So that's not bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. It does not chart on the US box office at all when it comes out. The five big movies of that month were Flashdance, Lone Wolf McQuaid, which is a Chuck Norris picture, <laughs> The Sword in the Stone, Mm-hmm. Disney cartoon, Something Wicked This Way Comes, a Disney live action movie, and Tony Scott's first movie, Ridley's brother, a vampire movie with David Bowie called The Hunger. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady, how about it? Stay with her. Help her, for she has begun to feel the awful horror of The Hunger. John Blaylock. The hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now, pray for him. Miriam Blaylock. She feeds one day in seven on the unsuspecting. And soon she will turn into something that you will never be able to forget. No matter how hard and how long you try, fear her. What have you done to me? Forever. signs terminate right here. The timeless beauty of Catherine Deneuve. The cruel elegance of David Bowie. The open sensuality of Susan Sarandon, combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. Mysterious, sensual, strange, perverse, riveting. The Hunger. That sounds like your jam. It absolutely 100% is. It is on the list. No. I've, I've not seen it. You've never seen that movie. Yeah. That movie's wow. incredible. Okay. It's widely panned at the time, but you watch it now and you're like, what the fuck were people thinking? David Bowie plays a sexy vampire. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he's been a sexy goblin king. Oh, so much so. <laughs> Our son has already seen that movie. Yeah. I had to shield his eyes whenever the cod piece was. 
too prominent. It's never prominent enough. Have you missed the podcast? Yes. Yes, I have. I'm here for more support. It's, <laughs> it's nicer with that, Brody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Oh, I love you, Brody. Somewhere, wherever the fuck Brody is, he felt a chill. <laughs> Over the years, it obviously becomes a, a cult movie for horror kids type of thing that you'd see to sleep over with your friends. It's totally 100% that movie. It's not a movie that you'd watch with adult supervision. It's a movie that you discover. Remy makes another lower budget movie called Crime Wave that I already mentioned. Crime Wave is a flop. But because of the VHS success of the first movie, they make a sequel. Because of course you make a sequel. People like to debate whether or not Evil Dead 2 is a remake or a sequel. How do you feel about it? I know. I have a definitive answer, by the way. I don't know how I can word this. <laughs> sure. Kind of both, I know, I know right? the circumstances was because like New Line wouldn't give them access to the old footage. So they did they were did have the hands forced. But then again, they make absolutely zero reference to half the characters yeah. and bring in a whole entirely new squad. So I would say I'd say remake. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's both. I, I lean towards remake, but it's definitely like it's, rides that it's line. Both. It also exists in a time where they are making the assumption that you have not seen the first movie. Yeah. Right. Because the first movie is not widely accessible. It's kind of similar to the way that like Mad Max and Mad Max 2, people have not seen it. But yeah. They can't get the rights to any of the footage because they don't, they don't have it. So they make a mini remake of the first movie with only Ash and Linda in the first seven minutes and then it leads into the next movie. And then they do the exact same fucking same thing for Army of Darkness. They just remake the they remake the the second mo- the second movie in like the first five minutes. And none of it matches up and it doesn't matter at all. I guess it makes it so that each of them are standalone. Yeah. So you don't have to have seen any of the others. Yeah, you know, these days with the way the internet is, kids are all hung up on continuity. But in, back in my day, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. I think that's the thing of why it's definitely more of a reboot to me because, like, they could just drop the two and pretend the one never happened at all. Yeah. And so that's why it's a reboot. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. yeah, well, so that is the Mad Max thing, right? Yeah. So Mad Max is called, the first movie is Mad Max. In the US, the second movie is not called Mad Max 2. It is called The Road Warrior. Mm. It's called The Road Warrior because Mad Max, although it had been released in the United States, nobody saw it. Mm. So they changed the name of the movie to The Road Warrior. They also well, I suppose if you call it Mad Max 2, then people feel like, oh, I can't see that. I didn't see the first one. I didn't one. see the first one, right. Shall we talk our way through The Evil Dead? Yeah. The Evil Dead Companion has a pretty detailed synopsis of The Evil Dead, which is actually kind of helpful this week. So I just copied their synopsis and then rewrote it, helpful. which is nice. It's I don't think really they're nice. going to do better than me, but okay. okay <laughs> it is also annotated by Bruce Campbell. Oh, nice. Right. So I have all kinds of like random trivia that is him talking about the movie. Cool. Yeah, which is kind of fun. Movie opens and closes with the buzz of a fly on the soundtrack. Mm as do the remake and mm-hmm. Evil Dead Rise. Did notice that in the, in the movie. The idea, Campbell says, was that this is a fly on the wall movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like it's, that, it's that literal. It's that literal. That's right. Fine. Yep. That's so they fine. just keep doing it through all the movies. Title comes up silently and with no music, which is kind of interesting. Nothing on the audio track whatsoever. No droning, nothing. I thought there was something wrong with the VHS. We float over a lake, over branches and fog. Uh, and already we get some kind of spooky voices droning on the soundtrack. I'll talk about cameras in a second, but one thing that this movie does that I think is one of the reasons that it is so memorable is sound design. The sound design in this movie is so strong for a movie that was made by a bunch of college kids. They spent so much time getting the sound design right. It really is what sells half of this movie because a lot of it was shot silently. According to Bruce, this shot floating over the lake was the Samo cam shot. 
Sam is in a raft. Okay. With crew members in waders on either side of him, pushing the raft through the water <laughs> with the camera taped to his hand. Okay, so he can't so drop he it? he can lift it. Oh, right. I can just imagine them going, <laughs> making, <laughs> making the, Sam making the, the noises. Yeah, totally. Uh, 1973 Delta 88 Oldsmobile drives down a mountain road. In the front seat is Scotty singing and with his girlfriend Shelly. In the back is Ash, his girlfriend Linda, and his sister Cheryl. I was just going to say, I swear for the first, like, ten, like, for the first few shots, the other two in the back seat did not exist. Yeah. <laughs> they have, like, half of those scenes. There is a lot of fake shimping. Mm. There is also parts where it is just Rob Tabbitt in a wig in the passenger in the passenger seat <laughs> through big parts of this movie. Do you know about the car? Have I told you about the car? I think you have, but I, I can't have. remember. Okay, so this is Sam Raimi's first car. Mm-hmm. It is in every single movie he has ever made. Right, yes, you have told me about this car. It is even in his Western, The Quick and the Dead. <laughs> How? They disassembled it and there are parts of it in Leonardo DiCaprio's workshop in that movie. Aw, <laughs> That's so dedication hidden, to hidden the idea. Parts. It has been taken apart and destroyed and put back together so many times. So is it in the Marvel movies too? It's in it's in Doctor Strange. It's Uncle Ben's car in his Spider-Man movies. Oh, right. What people might not know and would probably play better with Brody and Adam in the room, but Sam Raimi lost his virginity in that car. <laughs> yeah, that is something that Brody would be very excited Brody about. Brody would be very excited about that. Oh, rest in peace, Brody. <laughs> Scotty is driving kind of like a maniac as Ash consults a map about where they are. And we get that intercut with what Raimi and his crew call the Force POV. The Force POV is a camera bolted to a two by four, <laughs> again, with a camera member on each side running through the woods. So they can go up and o- they lift it up and over things. Right. Or sometimes it's on a pole so they can go through things. Yep. This movie is so homemade, it's ridiculous. And then mix in shots of a truck coming in the other direction with Ash stabbing his finger into where they are in the map. Here. The steering wheel twists out of Scott's hands and they almost crash into the truck, swerving at the last second. first bit of this movie really does feel very homemade student film, kids running around in the woods style. For a while it felt like Hallmark, like... I don't know, a Christmas vacation kind of thing. <laughs> like, oh, mum and dad on the front seat. It has, kind of, it has this, like, kind of loose improv vibe to begin with. <laughs> yeah, like the people talking in the car, they're like, they have lines of dialogue, but the lines of dialogue aren't really the focus. It's really just about the way they're interacting with each other. Bruce says that this is actually the first stunt they'd ever done. They paid some local to drive a truck at them. <laughs> oh There's my no God. stunt coordinator. There's no stunt man. They told him, whenever you feel like it, turn. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a lot of Whenever you feel like it. Turn. Scotty claims that it's the steering wheel. Hey, don't blame me. Just steering wheel. Damn thing jerked right out of my hand. Yeah, understand that I had this thing in for a tune-up yesterday and they said they'd go over everything. Yeah, well, you better take it back because the damn thing don't work. The only thing that does work is this lousy horn. As they pass two fishermen yokels who wave, those two fishermen yokels are Sam Raimi and Rob Tappet. <laughs> oh, nice. Of course they are. Linda asked Scott about the cabin that they're heading to. Scott got it real cheap. None of them have seen it. Yeah. In the second movie, I love that like Bruce Campbell's just like, I know about this cabin and he takes his girlfriend to it. And his girlfriend, Linda, is like, what if the people that own it show up? And he's like, they're oh, no, they won't. And then they do. <laughs> is it the same cabin in the second? So for the second movie, they do use a real cabin that they built. 
but quite a lot of that movie is shot in a high school gymnasium they turned into a film studio. Oh, right. Including <laughs> most of the external shots of the cabin. Right. So it's no. actually a set inside. That's impressive. So they have more control, probably because of some of the things that happened making this movie. <laughs> Right. Which we will soon find out. The idea that no one's checked out this cabin is kind of disturbing to Cheryl. Cheryl has the right idea. Yeah, Did it's disturbing to me. Like, <laughs> especially if you're going to be sleeping there. Like, In it the could middle just of be the falling woods. apart and moldy. Ugh. Bugs. Yeah. There could be bugs everywhere. Did you guys notice what Scott is holding while he is driving? Not from memory, at least. He is holding a jar of moonshine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it just suddenly appears in his hand because there is a deleted scene where they buy moonshine. Right. It is real moonshine. They drank a lot of real moonshine while making this movie. <laughs> That's They're in a good the woods idea. of Tennessee. Ash points out where they should turn off and the road takes them across a very rickety bridge past a sign reading dangerous bridge travel at own risk. Jesus Christ, the whole thing's falling apart on us. Don't let the noise fool you girls. This thing is solid as a rock. This bridge was really dangerous and they probably should not have been driving the car over it. Yeah. I'm 100% noping out at this point if I was them. Just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. As they drive over it, a couple of beams kind of fall away into the river. A wheel goes into a hole. Those beams are what are called its murder beams, which originated on the short film, It's Murder. This is why I mentioned all these things, because yeah. it all plays, right? Like none of it is none of it is happenstance. They're basically foam beams painted to look like wood, and they are used continuously through the making of this of this movie those are its murder beams okay this was an abandoned bridge and that hole was already there oh that's terrifying bruce says looking back it was probably not a good idea to put the car on that bridge yeah as they come onto the bridge you can actually see another car behind them i didn't know i did not there is a white car following them is that the, a production car? Or is it's it? one of the other uh, the crew members. There are lots of shots in this movie where you can see things that probably should not be in, be in frame. Whole lights. <laughs> Bruce also says that there's a shot where you can see Rob Tabbitt standing, like off camera, like at the side of camera in the woods, but I've never seen it. I've never, even in the, the VHS version and the HD version, I've never noticed where, where Rob is. So if somebody knows where Rob is, tell me a still and circle him or something. <laughs> The car turns onto the road that leads into the cabin and we follow them from behind but above as they travel through the trees with branches coming past the camera. I fucking love this shot. (laughs) That shot is so kind of beautiful and perfectly set up. To shoot it, Sam is literally riding on the the top of a van that is following them, (laughs) operating the camera. Perfect safety. Yep. Yep. Is he I mean, tied to the roof? Or? No, no way. He's just Absolutely sitting on the go. roof. We hear a repetitive knocking sound as uh, echoing down the road as they approach the cabin. It's an old swing slamming into the cabin wall. I love it. I love yeah. that swing. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the first shots I noticed that was used from the within the woods thing. Everybody gets out. We get kind of a bunch of low angles looking up at them. And then Scott approaches the cabin alone with the camera following him. Swing was made on location. So the swing was made and added. Added planks taken out of a different cabin that was nearby. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure if they had permission to do that. (laughs) Scott steps onto the front porch and as he reaches for the key, which is above the door, the swing just stops dead. It's the best. It's a haunted swing. Haunted swing. Ghost in a swing. Ghost in a swing. Yeah. Callbacks. 
Yay. Call back's a fun. <laughs> he unlocks the cabin and goes in, and then we see him from the inside silhouetted against the doorway with a mounted deer head in the foreground, mm. which will play a role in the second movie. And then outside the others kind of unload the car. Why are they unloading? They've not even checked it out yet. Why yeah, are they unloading I would definitely check the cabin before. Right? And now that we know that no one's seen it. They're just like, oh, here in the front door. All right, we're good. Also from a key that he just found on top yeah. of the door jam. Did yeah. he know the key was there? Has Scott been there before? Is Scott setting everybody up? Yes. <laughs> no, because no. that's not how films work. The text is the text. They really should have been checking for bed bugs though before they commit to this cabin. Mm. Yeah, everyone's going to get a terrible rash. They are. Yeah. Should have checked for bodies in the basement. I mean, I would never go into the basement of a cabin okay. in the woods. I mean. Even if it was like a, a five-star Airbnb, I'm not going in any basement. No, not a stranger's, no. Scott checks out another structure. It's Chekhov's woodshed behind the cabin, festooned with dangling bones and tools. I'm going to talk a little bit about a cabin, because the cabin is obviously a feature. This is not the first cabin that they picked. They had scouted and had been helped out by the Tennessee Film Commission to find a place that they could shoot. But when they all traveled from Detroit to Tennessee and they got there, the owners of the original cabin chickened out. So they get there and they've got nowhere to shoot. That's never good. They make friends with a local business guy, Gary Holt. Holt was a Vietnam vet that had claimed to once have been a driver for Elvis and had made his money by getting in early into dwarf throwing contests. (laughs) He found this cabin for them and as a result got an assistant producer credit. Nice. He was the guy that they turned to whenever they needed anything. He was like a total hustler in town, right? Just found them things. Yep. The cabin that they found was in massive disrepair. It was filled with cow shit. The doors were broken. The windows were broken. They had to fix it up. They made the front room, which was two rooms, into one room. So they took a wall, took a whole wall out. They had to cut a road in because there was the road was overgrown into the cabin. They had to run power to it. Jesus Christ. There was no running water. There would never be running water. That took two weeks, which they spent shooting the car stuff <laughs> so that they had something to do and shooting in rural Tennessee. They drew attention from some of the locals. They would often see people up on a ridge watching them. Uh, that'd make me uncomfortable. <laughs> One night where they weren't at the cabin... A bunch of tools were stolen. Oh, no. But whoever stole them left the cameras and the sound gear behind because it wasn't worth anything to them. The tools are worth money. I can use those tools. Well, at least they didn't take the cameras, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) One morning, Bruce was approaching the cabin with groceries in his arms. He was like the first person there for the day. And coming the other way from the direction of the cabin was a very large man with a beard carrying a shotgun, wearing bandoliers filled with shells. Oh, God. That's not something you want to come across. Bruce, on instinct, said good morning to him as they passed. The man nodded and said morning and kept walking. That's okay, the best then. outcome for that situation. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Back with the movie, we get like a stock shot of the sun setting and our first clock shot the first of many in Evil Dead movies, Cheryl is sitting drawing the clock itself near an open window. Remy shoots her from behind the pendulum of the clock, which is like such a fun idea. The clock stops with a lot of chiming, and with each chime, there is a cut. It is such good, fun technique. And then the curtains blow, and we hear... A voice saying, join us. 
That is Sam Raimi's voice. Of course. Sam Raimi and the others are the voices of all the spooky spooky (laughs) voices and dead eyes because they do it all themselves. Something possesses her and she starts drawing against her own will and she draws the book, kind of. She draws a square with a face. It changes from shot to shot. Oh, it's supposed to be the book. I thought it was supposed to be the trapdoor. Interesting. It's got the eyes and the face on it. Yeah, so, I, thought, I thought he was drawing, she was drawing the, the trapdoor, like the square for the trapdoor and then the chain. I thought it was the squiggly thing in the, in the middle. Kind of, maybe, I guess. I didn't, yeah. It I was ch- expecting her to turn it upside down like Mr. Scribble. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, upside down? Upside down. Mr. Scribble, who's that? It's a stout brown trout. Hurry up. <laughs> upside, upside down, down upside, upside down. down. <laughs> Fucking Australian content warning again. <laughs> Mr. They don't Squiggle. have Mr. Squiggle. No, Mr. No. Squiggle's an Australian television show. I thought that they had their own. I version. love Mr. Squiggle. How could you have childhood without Mr. Squiggle? I don't know. They had the Evil Dead. Across the room, the trapdoor does in fact start flapping. We get a fun cut to a blender full of red liquid. As at dinner, Ash makes a toast told to him by a Greek friend of his. He said, "I." Oh, okay, okay, okay. Miss, miss. <laughs> two, two, two. Two tarim. <laughs> Which means? Party it down. <laughs> it will not be the first time that Ash oh. forgets words in this trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said basically all the words. In the other room over Shelley's shoulder, the trapdoor springs open. If you look closely, you can see that somebody is pushing it up. <laughs> it's real quick. It is very quick. you got to have fast eyes, but there's definitely... I like the shadow of a movement of somebody pushing the trap the trapdoor up. They all go to investigate and discuss what could have made the trapdoor move. It could be an animal. Yep. I just go, okay, sure. audio medium, the look that you both just <laughs> Describe the look. Doubt. Doubt. Yeah. Press X to doubt. Press X to doubt. That's a good one. That might become a regular. Scott volunteers to go down, taking their only flashlight. They only have one flashlight. Again, you're going into the woods for the weekend. You'd think maybe bring more flashlights. Also, again, I wouldn't go investigate. I'd be like, trapped all down, heavy thing on top. No, thank you. Yeah, don't go into the basement. There's definitely going to be spiders down there for starters. Right. Ugh. This cabin did not have a cellar. So the trapdoor and the stairs were made by the crew and the stairs only go down five steps. Right. So, so it's just going to under the house. Just going to dirt a hole under the, un, under the house. <laughs> All the cellar stuff was shot months and months later at a farmhouse owned by Robert Tappet's family and in Sam Raimi's basement. I didn't know that part. I knew about the trapdoor being fake, but I didn't know where it was shot. Ash calls down to him. Hey, Scotty, you find anything? Stop messing around, you guys. Ash goes down and has to take a lantern and the three girls watch from above. Down in the cellar, he calls out for Scotty. They do a fun 360 shot that starts Mm -hmm. on Ash and then takes its very slow time to turn all the way around. We see water dripping from pipes. That's not water. It's caro syrup. Oh, really? So that the drips would fall slowly enough, which is is corn syrup. It's what most movies of this era use mixed with food dye use as fake blood. As Billy Loomis tells us in Scream, it's what they use for pig's blood and carry. Ash calls out a few times and heads towards a closed door after hearing some banging. The close-up of him moving towards the door is double printed, so every frame is printed twice right. to slow it down Okay. Uh-huh. because Sam thought he walked too fast. He didn't have a take where he walked slow enough for Sam. 
So they double printed it, which is such a like a strange old school way to do things with film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I had not heard of that as yeah. a technique before. Ash opens the door and moves into the next room and there is a cut there that teleports them from the Tappet house to the Raimi house. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come here, I want to show you something. What a this. fucking jerk. <laughs> I, was, I was like, he's going to die and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> there's a tape recorder. There's a shotgun. There's a weird dagger torn poster for the hills have eyes which i'll talk more about in a second there's also a strange book that seems to have a face carved into leather on it leave the house when you find this stuff in a basement maybe leave the house maybe you could be- have a vacation somewhere else maybe people just didn't know about demonic books in in the in the late 70s early 80s maybe they didn't i just had no survival instincts ash flicks through the book depictions of demons skeletal faces eyeballs piles of skulls uh, I love how it's meant to be an ancient book. It is clearly drawn in ballpoint pen. Yeah. <laughs> it gets better over the course oh, yeah. of the movies. I remember looking at this being like, wow, it's so fresh and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's definitely not drawn in blood. No, <laughs> no that's ballpoint pen. I yeah. know what that looks like. So Scott finds a dagger with a skull on the hilt. Kind of looks like your old girlfriend, <laughs> says to Bruce. The dagger was built by Tom Sullivan, the, their makeups guy, from real chicken bones. While they were shooting the movie, everybody lived in a big house in town. They'd hired this massive house where cast crew, everybody lived in. And apparently Sullivan built the dagger in his room and his room stank of rotten chicken. Ew. At least like did the methods of like bleaching the bones or something maybe. Well. I guess you wouldn't want to bleach them because then you'd have to re-age them. This is gross. (laughs) It is in fact Like the bone is fine, but like the meat attached to it makes me go... Blah, mold, gross. Blah. The Hills Have Eyes poster. Do you guys know this? I've told you, Kira, the story before. I vaguely remember something. This is the beginning of a back and forth between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven that goes on through quite a few of their movies. Do you know about know about this? I do, but I was getting confused between that and the other reference. I can't remember if that's on this one or a different or the second movie. There is one in the second yeah. movie. So Bruce explains that in The Hills Have Eyes, there's a poster of Jaws that is ripped in half. And Sam took that to mean that however scary Jaws was, it's nothing compared to what's going on in this movie. So Sam took a Hills Have Eyes poster and tore it to say that as scary as that movie is, it's nothing compared to this movie. When Wes Craven, a couple of years later, made A Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy is watching The Evil Dead on television while she's trying to stay up late at night. And then in Evil Dead 2, Freddy's glove yeah, that's the one I was yeah. thinking yeah, of. It's yeah, it's hanging on, on a hook down in the cellar. It is also in the TV show. Oh, nice. They did a callback to it. It's hanging. You see a very brief shot of it when they return to the cabin in the TV show. Right. Yeah. I knew about Freddy's glove in Evil Dead 2 long before I ever spotted it because I'd only ever seen VHS and DVD versions of it. I'd never seen it. And when we watched it, Last year in 4K, I spotted it for the first time. Yeah, he was very excited to finally actually see the glove. Yeah, because I knew it was there, but you couldn't see it because it was so dark. So they take everything upstairs. Yep. They don't leave. They've got some fun reading material. Why would they leave? They have activities to do. Get a shot of outside as lightning forks across the sky and, and hits a tree as the moon rises over the cabin. Obviously, it's an effect shot. The lightning is just drawn lightning. And the moon, you can actually see the, the black square around the, around the moon <laughs> in HD versions of this movie. Everybody sits around on the floor. Classic so, Ouija move. So they can 
Listen to the tape, as stresses everybody. The tape recorder they borrowed from Bruce's dad. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. Here I continued my research undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of Academe. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection, and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant, but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to possess the living. One thing that's interesting is that they do not call it the Necronomicon in this movie. It doesn't become the Necronomicon until the second movie. When this part of the movie was happening, um, my, my son was being very uh, unsettled, but I had the subtitles on. And so I couldn't really hear what he was saying, but I was reading the subtitles. But I don't read the subtitles particularly well because I'm not a fast reader. And so I thought they said Canadian. <laughs> Canadian ruins. The and Canadian yeah. ruins. The Canadian dead. Yeah. And I, and I, I assumed that I had read it wrong, <laughs> but it took me till the second viewing to find out exactly what that was supposed to say. Yes. Because it's, it's not Canadian. No, it's it would make it a very it would different be movie. Less scary if it I'll was swallow Canadian. your soul, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I moved here from Canada and they think I'm slow, eh? This was all written in post-production. The movie was edited by a experienced editor. They got an experienced editor named Edna Paul. She was from New York, but was cutting another movie in Detroit, and they ended up getting her to cut this movie. She had an editing assistant that was a young guy that helped Sam write this voiceover. That young guy was Ethan Cohen of the Cohen Brothers. Oh, right. Yes. Because they were closer in age, Ethan and Sam became friends, and seeing what Sam had been able to do with his mates he and his brother decided to make a low-budget thriller to prove that they could make movies. And they made Blood Simple. What I know about is Texas. Down here, you're on your own. Having a good time? Hey, what's it? Your husband. I got a job for you. It's not strictly legal. You want me to kill him? Ray, let's get out of here. What do you want to do? What do you want to It's funny, it's if it's not you she's sleeping with, it's someone else. My 
What's really going to be funny is when she gives you that look and says, I don't know what you're talking about. He looks stupid now. Which is a movie I fucking love. You watch, we watched it. You weren't really into it. I do vaguely remember that. It's a it's a thriller set in Texas about a bar owner hires a hitman to kill his wife that's left him. But it's full of Sam Raimi touches. They clearly took inspiration. If you look at the way the Coen brothers move their camera a couple of times in their early movies, it is very Sam Raimi. There's a particular shot in Blood Simple that I adore that rushes low across a lawn towards two people coming out of a house that is 100% just a mm. Sam Raimi move, 100%. And then even in like Raising Arizona, they use a lot of wide angle lenses and and zoom into Nicolas Cage's face all the time. Right. So they're totally inspired what Sam Raimi is doing. I love this little like a cycle of inspiration of like, oh, I could maybe do that. Maybe I could do something like that. Maybe I could do something like that. Those connections are something that we kind of talk about all the, all the mm. time on the pod because it's Amazing. Influenced by fucking John Carpenter. So Sam Raimi's influenced by John Carpenter, goes and studies a bunch of horror movies, makes a, makes a movie that inspires the Coen brothers and the Coen brothers become the fucking Coen brothers. Sam Raimi ended up co-writing a movie called The Hudsucker Proxy. He shows up in a bunch of their movies. He plays a gangster in Miller's Crossing that is a tiny role that is hilarious. Yeah. There's, there's so guys everybody just, stayed friends. Everybody, everybody yeah. stayed, stayed friends. That's lovely. Cheryl turns off the tape recorder. Scott convinces them to turn it back on. Fast forwards. And then when he presses play, Tatra a mistrobin hazarta. Tatir mano mansizon hazan sobar. Samanda robza dar his hiker dans de roza. Ganda. Shut it off. Ganda. Shut it off. Ganda. Do you reckon the part that he fast-forwarded over might have warned them not to play that bit? Probably. I can probably not. I reckon the guy was just sitting there going, chapter one. And this is the whole thing. <laughs> just like, like, a, like an audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. Outside the earth begins to crack and smoke rises. Because you should never read a book like that out loud. And you like, read it in your head. They're just being told that it's bound in flesh and inked in blood, and they're like still holding it and caressing, but like, ooh. The word what? demon resurrection passages probably would have uh, made me stop. No, I would have read the book. Mm. No, let's be honest, I would have read the book. <laughs> I would have read it in my head at least yeah. first. At least like pre-read in your head to decide whether you want to really say this stuff, because afterwards it might say, and once you've said all of this, 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 and this might happen. And then you can go, actually... No, it's not. Cheryl shouts as a branch crashes through the window. That is real glass. They there's just no, broke there's that. no fake glass. <laughs> so they just break the window. Of course. Cheryl flees the room and then Ash and Scott argue and Scott ends up uh, leaving. Ash asks Linda to stay up with him and listen to the storm that's going on, but she goes to check on Cheryl first. He takes a small box out of his pocket and when Linda joins him, he pretends to be asleep. It's kind of cute. <laughs> I mean, it was cute, but it's going on for so long this year. It is very long. They've got to stretch that run in time. They've got to get to 85 minutes. a little minutes. bit of romance. She looks at him and he closes his eyes. And then he, when she looks away, he opens his eyes. It's all very cute. There is a reflection of it later, which is fun. He gives her the box. It's a necklace of a small magnifying glass on a chain. 
It's a bit of an odd gift. It is a little bit. I was odd. wondering if like maybe she just like really into crafts or something. You're like just really wants to look things close. <laughs> the reason for it being that is in the original ending in the screenplay that they abandoned while they were shooting. Ash is supposed to use the magnifying glass and the sun to set the book on fire. I did think that that was going to happen. the only reason it's a magnifying glass. Right. Yeah, I did actually think that he was going to try to do something like that at some point when he grabbed it. Yeah, that's interesting that that was what the original plan was. It it makes sense why that's a magnifying glass. But it also means that that's why you're stuck with it for like three movies. Yeah. (laughs) I thought maybe some like just old timey like thing that just doesn't happen. Like how people used to have like the glasses, like bead chains. Yeah. I thought like, oh, maybe it's just an old timey style thing that I'm not aware of. (laughs) No, it serves a very specific plot function that doesn't function (laughs) so she loves it someone is watching them from outside as they kiss or something it moves from window to window i really like this shot Mm. it's a longer shot this is the shot where you can just see lights you can see lights hanging in the in the ceiling because they have no way to hide them but they need to light the inside of the cabin we see shelly and scott undressing and then it finds cheryl brushing her hair we get another join us as she looks out the window and then she just walks out the back door of the cabin into the woods is anybody out there yeah i know somebody's out there i heard you These people have no self-preservational instincts at all. She doesn't even bring the torch. No, she just heads into the woods for reasons, to find a voice that's calling out. Like, I could understand in terms of horror movie, you just stand by the front door and you're like, just going for a little wonder. By the way, you know how they went to Tennessee because it was going to be warmer? It wasn't, was it? It was the coldest winter that Tennessee had had in decades. Michigan had its warmest winter in decades. (laughs) It was so cold that the camera's timing cable froze while they were shooting and they had to go inside and wait for it to thaw out before they could keep shooting. Oh, no. The force POV moves through the woods, knocking down trees. I love all the stuff where it's knocking Mm. down trees. This sequence is a combination of footage shot in Tennessee, later in some woods in Michigan, and in Sam Raimi's backyard. (laughs) In Sam Raimi's backyard. Literally in his backyard. We see vines crawling and then they begin to loop around Cheryl. This is all reverse photography. So the vines are already on her and they're being pulled away. I was wondering how they do that. Yeah, yeah it's the only way. Some of this stuff is, is pretty fun. And then we reach the infamous tree rape. Mm. It's pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. I knew about this scene long before I saw the movie. It's the scene that people talk, talked about because of how confronting it is. She gets free and bolts as the force comes for her to shoot her running through the trees. They don't have a dolly. Kira can probably figure this one out. They don't have a dolly. What do they do? Wheelchair. Wheelchair. Yeah. They lay down boards so the wheelchair can run and Sam Remy sitting in a wheelchair carrying the camera. And Kira knows that because of... Dawson's Creek. (laughs) (laughs) Because Dawson suggests that they use it to shoot a scene in the the football movie that somebody's shooting in one of the seasons of Dawson's Creek. So Pacey's in a wheelchair and Dawson's running. She makes it to the house with the force right behind her, knocking down trees. She grabs the, the keys on top of the door jam, but they're stuck. I really love that shot of her. Mm. That's great. Ends up getting the keys, drops them, and then Ash grabs her wrist in a scare, pulling her inside. Inside, Ash asks her, did something in the woods do this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ashley. The trees, they're alive. Ash, why don't I take her in the back room so she can lie down? I'm not lying down. I want to get out of here. 
I understand why she survived in order to give that information to the people inside the house, but the first time I watched it, I was very surprised that she survived because I'm used to slasher movies mm. where when people go out into the woods and get attacked, they're then dead and you just yeah. come across that body later in the movie. Like, you've split from the party, you're out of the party. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, wow, they actually let her survive this. <laughs> Cheryl wants Ash to drive her back into town immediately, tries to talk her out of it, but then he agrees. I love this kind of scene. This is a, a long take. It's like a one-er. There's definitely like a growth in the acting, from like if you think about how loose and kind of like th- maybe a little theatery amateur the stuff in the car is at the beginning by the time that they get to here they're clearly really good at working working with mm-hmm. each other because sam can just do this long shot where the whole scene plays out plays out in one go they get into the car it won't start she says i know it's not going to start it's not going to let us leave but it does start and they drive away with everybody else going back inside ash drives down the road but they don't make it very far Ash gets out of the car and kind of walks into the fog and disappears. Did you guys notice something strange about the way that he is walking? He's walking at a strange angle. He's kind of like slightly bent backwards. Leaning, no, leaning I didn't backwards. notice. No. Okay. Cheryl gets out to follow and also walks like she's tilted to one side. It's because this shot, well, it shot to look like its level was shot on a hill. <laughs> just to make it like a little bit creepy, a little bit eerier. Maybe it's just something that probably noticed okay. my brain was like autocorrect. Yeah, your brain probably yeah. just felt it in. I always notice it, but that's to me. In the dark, she loses him, and then she finds that the bridge has been destroyed. Its girders have been bent upwards into fingers, like a skeletal hand. That is the actual bridge that they crossed earlier. They were allowed to destroy it for the movie. They spent weeks trying to get it into that shape, and in the dark, you can barely tell what the fuck uh, is I happening. I couldn't tell it was the bridge in the, in the original. Oh, no. <laughs> in the second movie, they do the same thing, but it's a matte painting and it's daytime <laughs> so that you can, you can tell it, what yeah. the fuck is happening. Did they have to put the bridge back? No, the bridge was like, uh, it was bridge was abandoned. Anyway, it was yeah. condemned, yeah. So they didn't have to rebuild the bridge? No, no, no. I think that the people who owned the original cabin that then said that they couldn't use the cabin once watching this film probably were like, we made the right choice. Well, they did do a lot of damage to the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. She runs back to the car screaming and then Ash grabs her. We get another kind of fun cut where they cut to Scott chopping wood and then they zoom into the window of the cabin where everybody is inside and Ash is listening to more of the tape through headphones. I know now that my wife has become host to a Kandarian demon. I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. I would leave now to avoid this horror, but for myself, I, I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Canadian demon. <laughs> Join us, eh? Nearby, Linda and Shelley. Uh, fooling around playing cards, testing each other's ESP for fun. I'm surprised that the girl trying to guess doesn't, you know, want to see proof that she got the card right. Right? I'm like, no, you're kidding with me. (laughs) Cheryl, who's been staring out the window in the background, starts saying the sequence of the cards and gets them all right, suddenly whips around. Demon. Demon. Canadian demon. She levitates. from our ancient slumber. You will die like the others before you. One by one we will take you. Everyone kind of freaks out, as you would. Ash and Linda go to check on her. Cheryl's hand crawls on the floor to find a pencil 
and she stabs Linda in the ankle with it. Yeah, this is one of those things where you can't help but feel that. Oh, yeah. That shot goes on for so long it, as well. That shot still yeah. freaks me. Like, there are lots of things in this movie that have not aged well because of when the, the period that when they were made. That shot still freaks me the fuck out. It mm. is so, you feel, yeah, you feel it. The sound is the sound mm. of a pencil stabbing into an apple. <laughs> Ash tries to stop her and then he gets flung into a bookshelf. That is just... Bruce Campbell throwing himself into a bookshelf because Ooh. there is no stunt people. He just takes that bomb. Scott hits her with the axe back down to the trapdoor and padlocks it. We get a nice fake head and he fake like hand. He like kicks her in there. He's like, this is Sparta. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The fake hand always gets me as well in the trapdoor where he's banging it with the with the axe. Yeah, nasty. In the bedroom, Linda is just asleep. Like she they don't deal with this. like, I guess she just trauma sleeping. He checks on her and pulls the covers over her. I love this scene. The whole next scene plays out from Cheryl's point of view in the cellar. So you see her hands and it's her looking around as Scott wants to leave. Ash, I think we ought to get out of here. Yeah. Tell him a few more hours before morning. I don't think I can wait that long. You have to. We all have to. And then in the morning, we'll get in the car, and we'll take the bridge, and... Does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't know! The force POV peers into the cabin at Scott and Shelley and then follows Shelley along the house. Turning towards the window, she sees something outside of the dark, backs away, and then the force POV slams through the window as she screams. Real glass. <laughs> this is the Ramo cam. <laughs> they have names for everything. There is a guy behind the camera with a large rake-like device made of nailed together boards that punches out the window just as the camera reaches it. So they just smash the window. So is that is the rake thingy attached to the no, same it's just thing a crew, the camera No, it's just a crew member standing nearby and he just hits, smashes the window as the camera gets close to it so that the camera can go through the window of real glass. Without you seeing the rakey thing. Without you seeing the rakey thing. Safety okay. third. They wouldn't have had many goes. Is one, it like one go. just one time. hope for the best? One time. Right. Well, they did a good job. A lot of this movie is like, we get one go at this because afterwards there's too much blood. Yeah. Or we just broke that thing. Yeah. Well, if you notice, the, the cabin like gets, I mean, the cabin gets t totally trashed. Mm. The roof disappears from the main room, disappears real early. And there's shots where there's like a roof and then there's shots where there's not a roof and then the roof's back again. And because they pulled all of the timber out of it to repair other things and also to do some shots. I didn't notice anything missing at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott comes in the room with the smashed window and there's no sign of Shelly. He looks out the window, but then there's a noise from the closet. There's nothing in there. He checks the bathroom. There's nothing in there. And then suddenly a hand grabs him. Another hand drags its fingernails down the side of his face. It's monster Shelly. She jumps on top of him and they fight back into the main room. He manages to push her away and she falls into the fireplace. Mm her head starting to smolder and then he grabs her by the legs and pulls her to safety even though she's a monster that's just trying to kill him. I love her dialogue. Thank you. 
I don't know what I would have done if I had remained on those hot coals, burning my pretty flesh. You have pretty skin. Well, it's nice of her to thank him. Monster Cheryl is banging away at the trapdoor. Ash tries to help Scott, but ends up getting flung into a different bookcase. He just magnetically attracted the bookcases. Yes. Sam really likes hurting Bruce. <laughs> Monster Shelley grabs the skull dagger and tries to stab Scott, but he pulls his own hunting knife out and hacks at her wrist. Again, that one freaks me out a little bit too. The the stretching, the yeah. stretching is what is what, what kind of gets me. She ends up biting her own hand off at the wrist to get rid of it. I got confused with this scene for a little bit. I'm like, whose hand is being bitten off? What? And I'm like, oh, okay. She's cool. biting her own hand. Yeah. Scott picks up the dagger, which still has her hand attached to it, and then stabs her. Blood and smoke pours out of the skull of the dagger. She moans and falls and falls backward, and white liquid spurts out of her wrist stump and her mouth as she's covered in like red, black and white goo. Is that just milk? It is just milk. <laughs> yeah. I thought so. This is three different locations and three different people playing Shelly, <laughs> including Rob Tappet. For a lot of it, when she is like on the floor, the floor is dirt, not wood. I did not notice that. Neither. We get a quiet beat. It's one of the things I think Sam Remy does really well in this movie is every so often he gives you a little break. Gives you a second. Gives you a little rest. Because you need it. <laughs> Scott walks towards Shelley and she grabs him again. The legs that she grabs are Ted Raimi's legs, not back to this playing Scott. She rises up and then kind of w- and walks towards them. Scott grabs the axe from Ash and then just whacks at her again and again mm. and again and again with blood covering the lens. The first hit is obviously a dummy. When she's on the floor and he's cutting, it's a fake floor with real hands through a hole attached to a prosthetic arm. The leg that you see him being cut is chunk of deli meat. Right. You can actually see the gr- bright green hose that is pumping fake blood sticking through the floor. <laughs> nice. Awesome. It appears a few times through the movie. They use the same bright green hose through the whole movie. It's a garden hose. Maybe they should have painted it yep. black or something. Finally, he stops and you see Shelley's various dismembered body parts scattered around the floor. Still twitching. Still twitching. All twitching. This is done by having various people underneath the floor sticking <laughs> their arms and legs or a head through holes cut for this very purpose. While they were shooting this, they had been shooting for 16 hours. Oh, wow. Jeez. Rob Tappet is one of the legs. So he's lying on his back in a hole underneath the cabin with his leg sticking out through a hole. And he believes... Sam took a little bit longer to light the scene than was necessary to torment the people that were sticking their legs through. Sam's a big fan of teasing his friends on camera and making them do things on camera. They pulled a prank on Bruce Campbell where they were like, we need to shoot the scene of you so tired. We need to shoot the scene of you chopping wood. You could have chopped wood. And Bruce is like, oh, yeah, yeah. So they made him chop wood for 45 minutes. They never even put film in the camera. They just wanted him to chop wood so that they had wood for the fire. That's so mean. That is so mean. It's just kind of fun though. It's funny, but it's so mean. They're shooting such long nights that Bruce would try and get some rest in between setups, right? So sometimes he would try to like sleep or be a bit slower to get back up after they were ready for him. So Sam and Rob would poke him with sharp sticks (laughs) to make him get up so he could do some acting. When Sam booked The Quick and the Dead, Bruce faxed him because it's the 90s faxed him a congratulations and asked him if he intended to poke Gene Hackman and Sharon Stone with sticks to make them act (laughs) 
They chat about what they're going to do. We're going to bury her, Scott says. <laughs> I love Ash's response. Shelly, she's a, she's a friend of ours. Ah, she's dead. But we can hack her to pieces. That's fine. So they end up dragging what's left of her through the woods in a bloody sheet and and burying it. Scott plants a cross. You I could just, probably try to leave now, right? I yeah. just love that, like, all the evil going on. Just gives them a break to give them a nice burial. And then we'll get back into it again. <laughs> also, they never mention any kind of long-term consequences. Like, are the police going to ask where this girl is that we went on vacation That's with? That's a problem for future Ash. Where's... It uh, is in fact a problem. For <laughs> it is in fact a problem for future Ash. They're, in the episode that of Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV show that I am watching, he is dealing with the consequences of the town that he grew up in. Thinks that he killed everybody in that cabin. Well, there you go. Yep. It's nice that the consequences finally caught up with him. <laughs> One of the things I'm really appreciating about the show is that it is picking up on so many tiny things through all of the mo- all of the movies and then running with those in a really interesting way. Like, yeah, the town would be like. Well, Ash came back and nobody else did. <laughs> and then he went back out there. And it's not like you can forget woman. that jawline either. Yeah. Scott insists that he's leaving, but Ash is like, they can't take Linda out of here with a wounded foot. Scott doesn't care what happens to her. She's your girlfriend. You take care of her. I'm getting the hell out of here. Scott, I don't think he's a good friend. That's look, You knew that he was going to be next. 100% yeah. at yeah. that point. And he just leaves. He just goes off into the woods. <laughs> Yeah, they're just we don't we don't get a lot of like character development with these guys, so we don't know exactly how close of friends they were supposed to be. Oh, close they're, enough to make fun of each other's girlfriends or exes. Yeah, so <laughs> just seems like maybe he should care a little bit more. Cheryl torments Ash from the trapdoor as he goes to check on Linda. She's sleeping and seems to be okay. When he pulls back the sheet where she's been stabbed, immediately turns black with like a spider web. Stop motion. Mm. Yeah. That's a cool effect. Yeah, it's really it's really fun. Linda then sits up cackling. Ash runs to the front door. Scott is there begging for help and he's wounded. He got fucked up by the trees. Linda's sitting cross-legged on the floor in the doorway to the hallway and she giggles like a little girl. And that is terrifying. Linda yeah, is my so favorite dead eye. She's just having yeah, a blast. She's I just pure chaos. Too. She's not she's even fantastic. like she's not even violent. She's just having a great time. It, just it's, cackling. It's just almost, being it's, scary. It's yeah. almost a glow up for her. <laughs> She gets, like, drag makeup almost. <laughs> oh, wait. Who would Birdie be obsessed with? Oh, my God, yeah. Who would Birdie be haunt on? It's going to be but Bruce be- Campbell. Before right? everybody dies, we should probably... <laughs> it's going to be Bruce Campbell. You think? Oh, yeah, that chin. Yeah. I'm trying to think who would he say respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> Looking respectfully. <laughs> Looking respectfully well, he doesn't look respectfully. Chin. He doesn't look respectfully at the guys. He only looks respectfully at the girls. He's very disrespectful towards the guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. I'm going to guess Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl. Cheryl? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Cheryl. Mm. She's kind of cute. You'll have to ask him on the next podcast. Old business. Old business? Old business. No, I'll just forget about it before then. (sighs) It's a classic old business then. (laughs) Shut up. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) We brought you on here so we can have a nice time without the boys. (laughs) It's just us girls. Yeah. Girls are mean. We grew up in this shit. (laughs) Exactly. So those white contact lenses that everybody is wearing when they're deadites are hard glass. Oh. They are not. Like modern contact lenses. Ow. That's how they did it back then? I didn't hear about it being like hard glass, but I guess that kind of makes sense. I did hear that they can't see shit though. Oh yeah, you're blind. (laughs) You're you're, you're blind and your eyes hurt. Scott thinks that they're all going to die. Ash slaps him out of it and asks him if he found another way out. There's a trail, but the trees are alive. Cheryl and Linda both laugh at Scott 
I love Ash telling Linda to shut up and then he goes over and just punches her in the face. Yeah, like he just so whacks good. her back and forth. I'm not advocating violence against women in any way, shape or form, but it's a deadite. Yeah, yeah she's sure. not a woman anymore. She's just a monster. She's a demon. A Canadian demon. A Canadian demon. Mm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what have we done? We're making people so angry. <laughs> Tells Ash just to kill her. Cheryl taunts him, kill her if you can, love a boy. Ash points the shotgun at her, but he can't bring himself to do it. And then she looks normal again and begs for help. Cheryl looks normal again as well in the trapdoor. I'm all right now. Unlock the chain and let me out. It almost looked like Linda was looking like, you bitched, getting into my game? Shush. (laughs) Ash goes over to the trapdoor, pulls out the key, calls for Cheryl, who's not there, and then gets punched in the face through the (laughs) trapdoor. That is Ted Raimi's hands. We get the first instance of Bruce Campbell saying, you bastards, <laughs> which is one of my favorite line deliveries. The way that he, the way he says that, he says it a lot in, in Army of Darkness as well. <laughs> Linda, possessed again, starts singing, we're going to get you, we're going to get you. And then he just drags her outside and leaves her out there. He just walks away. This is exactly where it's like she's entirely nonviolent. She's just enjoying this chaos and whatever she's causing. <laughs> she's the just, nice She's yeah. the nice deadite. She's the chaotic neutral deadite. Basically, we like her. <laughs> <laughs> she's okay. the best. Sure. Back inside, Ash offers Scott some water. The sun will be up in an hour and they can all go home. You, me, Linda, Shelley. Well, not Shelly. <laughs> he looks like he's basically drowning Scott. Like he's just pouring water he's pouring way too much water down his throat. People say that the first movie is straight horror and that the second one is the funny one, but I think this movie is funny as well. There's it definitely is. There's moments, definitely moments yeah. of funny in this yeah. one. Scott is dead. <laughs> Scott is not Scott is not drinking that water. Scott no. is dead. Ash goes to the window and looks out and there's nothing out there. He turns around just as Linda stabs him with the skull dagger and then she licks the blood off the blade. They fight. Scott's corpse gets knocked to the floor. Cheryl's even grabbing at him from the trapdoor. He ends up stabbing Linda in the back with the knife and she spits milk and blood everywhere. She collapses and he drags her across the floor. We get a low shot that is mm. at floor level. I love this shot. It's so good. It's so good, right? And then they, when she gets pulled out of frame, Cheryl is in the background of the trapdoor. This is the Vaso cam. The camera is bolted to a wooden block covered in cello tape, cellophane. And sliding on Vaseline. The floor is smeared with Vaseline <laughs> so that the camera can slide that low. I just like it as a scene. Okay. Just, <laughs> I like the shot just because it sets like, here's everyone where they are now in the room. Yeah, yeah. some geography and yeah. everybody's dead. It was so cold in the cabin that after a while, the Vaseline went thick and stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And then we come to the iconic... Ash taking Linda to the woodshed and we get the first of many uses in Raimi's fem- filmography of a series of quick cuts with a piece of strong sound design attached to them. Ethan Cohen helped Sam cut this sequence. They did they did this together as he chains Linda to the to the bench. Army of Darkness has like three of these sequences mm. in it. 
And, you know, the most famous one is where he ends up putting his prosthetic hand on and saying groovy. Rob Tappet, the producer, talks about how on the way down to Tennessee, Sam and Robert were in a giant U-Haul truck that had all their gear and stuff in it. And they drove and the, the truck was governed 40 miles an hour, which is so slow. Right. Yeah. So it took them a ridiculous amount of time to drive to Tennessee. And during the entire drive, Sam talked to Rob about how he was going to shoot this sequence about all these different cuts and he'd been studying time cuts and different montage technique. Rob, who's been making shots with him for a little while, realized that Sam was essentially like taking the next step as a director and that he was clearly going to try every single trick in his book. Mm. Sam Raimi makes this movie like this is the only movie he's ever going to make because he uses everything that he could possibly use. Everything he's ever wanted to do or they have done in their shorts, all of that technique is in this movie. And it's it's incredible. It's one of the reasons that the movie stands out. We talked earlier about the fact that how do people even know about this movie? I think that one of the reasons that this movie, as low budget and as amateur as it is in places, it's the attention of the craft. It's the way that Remy is moving the camera. Every shot in this thing is is well thought out and executed and interesting. Ash pulls aside a curtain and finds a chainsaw, the iconic red chainsaw. Yes. yes. <laughs> he starts the chainsaw but softens when he sees the necklace leaning over her body crying. He cannot cut her up and so he carries her out into the woods and buries her next to Shelley's path so that she's with her friend. <laughs> Inside, Cheryl is pounding away at the trapdoor and as the hinges begin to give way and Sam does what he did in the giving her the necklace make cute scene where her eyes are open and then they close every time he looks at her, looks at her body. Uh, so it's I think I was writing notes at this point. I didn't see this one. Yeah. So even, yes, that scene in the beginning goes for mm. way too long, but, but he it sets it up. It's a yeah, setup and a, and, yeah. a, and, a, and a payoff. And we right? know how you love those. I do love a setup and a payoff. <laughs> he puts her into the hole. We get a POV shot from inside the grave as he shovels dirt in. That was masterful. Just perfectly misses him. It's a complete <laughs> fluke that you can see his face. <laughs> like an absolute fluke. The thing is, is that they're also shooting on film. They don't know that they got that until later. Which <laughs> that is, must have been a nice moment when you're watching that footage. That back. would have been like champagne pop, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. The necklace is on the ground. So Ash goes to pick it up. And of course, Linda's hand shoots out of the earth and grabs him. She tears at his ankle. The ankle yeah. tear is also really, really gnarly. Yeah. Her coming out of the grave is shot at, in Raimi's cellar <laughs> months later. She's coming out of fertilizer. Oh, because oh, <laughs> it's easy to because it's not oh, thick like soil. That's, that's worse than to be around. As that's well. worse than regular dirt. Yep. Yeah. Ash oh. falls to the ground, finds a loose piece of timber, and pounds Linda in the head <laughs> until she picks him up by it and tosses him. That's such a fun shot. That's a it's murder beam. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fun beam. Her getting hit is done by both Bruce Campbell and by Sam Raimi because Bruce wasn't doing it hard enough. <laughs> And they really, Sam really clouded the shit out of Betsy Baker. She would get pissed off with him, tell him to stop. He would apologize to her, ask her to do another take and hit her just as hard. He's just a man who knows what he needs for his film (laughs) and is willing to go, as you will continue to hear, as far as anybody else will go with him. (laughs) I don't know, that's a bit whiplash of you to be doing that. Yeah. Linda leaps into the air. Ash swings a shovel and lops her head off. 
it lands right in front of the camera. And in the background, he grapples with her body as the stump of the neck pumps black fluid into his screaming face. I love Delicious. it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I love it. I He's like, like I like too much fluid being pumped into people's faces. You do. It's one of the things that I'm that I most enjoyed about Evil Dead Rise. <laughs> There's a lot of fluid in that. Oh, so much fluid. Yeah, it's it's wild. Linda's head laughs as her body grinds on Ash and there is a couple of groaning sounds. Did you hear the groaning sounds? No, I didn't notice. I think I was writing. They were borrowed from a hardcore movie. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Ash staggers away. We get an overhead shot of him walking away. To do that, they're on a cherry picker that Sam insisted that they hire for the end of the movie. But it sat around for days and days and... This is the only shot that it was used for, even <laughs> though they paid for it for every day that they had it. Oh. Uh-oh. He's back inside and the trap door is open. He hears a creaking sound from across the room as a door opens. He picks up the gun and goes looking around. I wrote a note here, Bing. Don't go in. There's an untouched bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There is, in fact, a bookshelf he does not go into. Yeah. Room. That's a missed opportunity. Cheryl pops up outside in the window grabs the barrel of the shotgun and he blasts her, but she stands up again with with fake blood pumping out of her. For the close-up with the shotgun blast, that is a real shotgun blast being shot into a fake torso. Safety third. Okay. He runs towards the front door and jumps over the camera. Do you guys notice that shot? It's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. They tore up the floorboards and Sam is sitting in a hole in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that there are a lot of behind-the-scenes photos of this production. There actually is. Well, we're, In the book, there's quite a few good oh, nice. behind-the-scenes still, so maybe we should post them up on the Instagram. I should yeah. find a copy that book for Cam. You can find it online. I nice. did look to see if it was worth any money, and it's not. You can just buy it. Nice. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl's at the door. Ash smashes her hand into, in the door, and this always gets me as well. So fake hand filled with caro blood in balloons, Mixed in with broken glass so that oh. they will oh, pop. Oh, so definitely, yeah. <laughs> I know it's not a real hand, but that's oh. a cool practice, though. Yeah. yeah. And through most of this, Cheryl is Rob Tappet, right? Not the actress that plays Cheryl, because at the end of the six weeks, they were nowhere near done. I was going <laughs> to ask. I didn't think that there was any way. So we are coming back to the rest of the narrative about how this movie was made. which Because they, would, they would have struggled just with like light, right? Like having to shoot. Mm. They'd have to shoot only at night, right? Yeah. Once, once the movie turns nighttime, yes, all nights. Yeah. Right? They'd started in October. It was now December. They had shot through Thanksgiving, but now it's getting closer to Christmas and people are getting pretty antsy to go mm. home. They're also running out of money. One night at the big house they're all staying in, Sam and Rob lock themselves in an upstairs room and try to figure out how much what they have left money-wise and then how long they can keep shooting if they stretch that out. They figure it out. They go downstairs to tell the cast and crew they need three more weeks. They figured it out. We need three more weeks. Everyone decides to go home. Oh, no. Because it's Christmas. There are five people left to continue making this movie, including Sam, Rob, and Bruce. The sound guy leaves and takes his gear with him. The camera guy, Tim Philo, needs to leave as well. He had borrowed the two cameras that they're using from his college. They're using a small little Arri camera and a larger, more expensive Bolex. Sam convinces him to leave them just one camera, just the small Arri, 
so that because he can't leave them without a camera they can't make the movie so phil agrees but then sam's like oh but you know we, we need a backup camera so can you leave the bollocks as well but we won't use it because only tim can use the bollocks because it's the more expensive expensive camera so leave the camera but we won't it's use it it's just a backup in case the camera camera breaks sam convinces him that tim leaves both of the cameras the second that tim gets in his car and drives away Sam turns to someone and says, load film into the bollocks. <laughs> and yeah, by the time they were done, they had broken one of the cameras. Uh, so they filmed three weeks worth of footage with just the five of them. It was more than three weeks. <laughs> what, would, what would have been three weeks if everyone had stayed? Yep. After Tim Philo goes, Sam's in charge of loading the film into the camera. One night, his hands are so covered in fake blood, but they need to change mags. And there is no running water in that cabin, so he washes his hands with hot coffee. Oh. Ow. With the five of them, they are shooting 20-hour days, and they got kicked out of the big house, so they just aren't living in the cabin. Oh. Oh. It's so cold, too. Oh, no, boys. At the very end of the shoot, they did 62 hours straight. So who were the five that stayed? So it's Rob, Sam, Bruce, and two other dudes. Right. They didn't want to come back after Christmas or was all just no. No, 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 no. They shot for five more weeks. How do you get so much footage without your actors? Fake champs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all undead, I mean, so it's yeah. hard to tell. True. So they, did, they didn't quite shoot the movie in sequence, but they shot enough in sequence. But by this point, it's just Ash and Deadites mm. left. And they have Ash. And they have Ash. They're lucky that Ash agreed yeah. to stay, because otherwise well, they'd is, be screwed. Bruce is one of the creators of the movie. Like yeah, Bruce is like part of, the, is one of is part of the crew. He's, he owns part of the, the company. Yeah, right? they're lucky that they So they didn't wrap the until January, late January of 1980. Wow. <laughs> and then they're not finished. They don't have a finished film. They have none of the seller stuff. Oh, my God. Oh. They have none of the special effects stuff. Oh, no. So over the next year, they keep shooting back in Michigan. They did manage to get the cast back for two weeks to do seller stuff and yeah. inserts and bits and pieces. And they would just do days here and there as they needed for like ever. It cuts together quite well considering. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are scenes where you were literally, there are scenes where you were literally looking at three or four different locations and different actors in every single shot playing that plan. Over that the role. course of a year. Over the course of longer, two years. Yeah. They started making this movie in, in October of 1979. The movie didn't come out until 1983. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ash, back with it. I have more for later as well. <laughs> so Ash, frantically runs to the back door and slams it shut. He's looking for shotgun shells. At this point, it's just Bruce. So Bruce mm. talks a lot from here on out because he needs to tell you what he's thinking. <laughs> he finds some and heads into the cellar for a reason that is never clear other than the fact that the trap door is just open. Why does he go back down there? Yeah, bad choices. As he's coming down, he stumbles on a beer can and then overhead there's a pipe wrapped in sheets dripping blood. <laughs> And it breaks, spewing blood. <laughs> There's also a really great shot that is Bruce's face looking down at him from above the pipe. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's no room to get a camera above the pipe. Floorboard's gone again. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're shooting into a mirror. Oh, really? Oh. They placed a mirror on the ceiling above the pipe and then shot from the ground 
at Bruce's face reflected in the mirror. That's so smart. Yeah, that's smart. How clever is that? Solutions for things that you that you just would never never mm. think of because Sam has a shot in his head and so he just figures out how to do it even if it's the most impossible thing <laughs> because of the physical space that you were in. Yeah. Electrical outlets start to ooze blood. <laughs> blood pours out of the stones. The light bulb that fills up yeah. with blood is always a great time. A record player starts on its own playing 1920s jazz. I feel like during this scene, the blood looks like, because you know it's fake blood, that it probably tasted quite nice. Okay. I have, I have. The uh, co- like the corn type blood. Through some like theatre thing, I uh, ended up helping out with EMTs. Do you like that? They're like on the spot training to like, oh, do diagnosis right. and stuff. And so we got to have some like, I don't know, little blood dripping down our noses and stuff while lying on tops and pretending that we were like in a car accident. Like, Aah. And it, it's corn syrup, so yeah, it's sugar. Tasty. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I did a zombie film once and found myself eating the fake blood. <laughs> I did not have access to, to corn syrup as a child, but I figured out my own recipe for fake blood. And we would fill balloons or condoms with fake blood and then like tape them to people's chests. And then when they got shot, they would bang their hand against their chest <laughs> to pop the, pop the balloon, right? Eggs. Oh, yeah, for the, for the texture. And milk. Oh yeah. To- so basically, like scrambled eggs, mm. not cooked. Yeah. And then red, and then red food dye, because you end up with the viscosity of fake blood, and you just have to get it to the right color. Right color. The drop of green, like for two drops of red and a drop of green, really helps get that darkness. The darkness oh, to it, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. a lot of movies you watch that have fake blood, it's too, it's too red. Mm, yeah. True. But then you had eggs and milk smeared all over you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that did not taste good. <laughs> no. It's not good when you get it into your mouth. And would have been bad in the sun. Ash runs into the room where the projector is. I love the blood falling down the square. Screen. The yeah. screen yeah. of the projector is, re- is a really, really nice effect. Again, all shot in post in like people's people's basements. This entire sequence is like not in the script. They just build it because they need another scare sequence right. or a way to link two different thing two different things together. Ash, I do like Ash walking through a puddle of blood where there is floating a box of band aids. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. So good. Well, it's probably too late for band-aids. Yeah. He goes back upstairs and then from like from here on out, Raimi is just pushing all his craft all the way to the end. Every shot is like in, is insane. The clock starts uh, whirring madly and we hear like Big Ben like kind of chimes. Pendulum shot again, but the pendulum is like slamming backwards and forwards as we see Ash in like a Dutch angle. We hear the sound of a heartbeat as Ash is walking away and the camera goes from Dutch mm. to riding itself, which is really nice. This is all just the five of them in the cabin in, ten- in Tennessee. You can um, tell they're just really having fun with all the different weird techniques here, like the crazy close zoom and the dark angles and just shot up, shot up, just like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Tapper says that when there was the five of them, he tried to convince Sam that not every shot needed to be this complex. <laughs> and Sam was like... This is what we're doing. <laughs> we see Ash upside down as he passes beneath the camera, which then tilts to follow him the right mm. way up. You want to take a guess on how the fuck they did that? I got nothing for that. I got nothing. Bruce says that Sam was contorted in a position hanging down over the rafters and then he had to bend over upside down and then do an inverted sit up as Bruce walked backward and the camera was just attached to his hand. That seems safe and not like you're going to fall. No. And then we see Ash from underneath. We see the bottom of his shoes as he turns and swivels. 
he's just standing on a box with the camera with the camera below him. So there's boxes on either side of his feet. And so he's just standing on the edge of a box so they can do that with the camera directly below them. He just listens, trying to figure out where noises are coming from and looks out the front door of the cabin. The force moves closer and he slams the front door closed. Shutters of the house begin to bang. He's starting to freak out. There's another shot from above the rafters following him mm, as he walks along. Like that one. And there's a sound attached every time it, it goes past a rafter. And again, this is just a Vassar camp shot. That one shot took a 14-hour day to shoot. Jesus. <laughs> this is why they went over their, 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 their six-week period. 14 hours for one shot is where the first AD goes... Think you need to move on. Think if you haven't got it, you haven't got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, guess what? I got it. <laughs> Eventually. We then get to the mirror. I like this. Yeah. This is really fun. So he stares into a mirror, reaches out towards his own image, and then his hand goes into the mirror. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna guess they swap to a top down over a barrel of some sort. Yeah, basically. Yay! Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's water, and then Bruce is laying on a board that is hidden to hold him up, and he's reaching down into the into the into the mirror. This was inspired by a shot from a from a I think the Coteau Beauty and the Beast movie, which is like from the 1920s, and they have an actor reach into a mirror, except it's the 1920. I think it's the 20s. If I uh, might not be, but the actor reached into the mirror that was a pool of mercury. Oh, which is not a good idea. I so. mean, you're okay for a little bit. Sure. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you, Apparently. Good luck with that. It doesn't absorb very fast. But yeah, like I'm sure that in that movie they probably had multiple takes, so probably not a good idea. No. Yeah. 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 There's a light that passes by the window outside and he screams and then just fires at the window and then he has to reload the shotgun. He can hear footsteps on the roof. That is Sam Raimi in high heels. <laughs> In post-production, not actually on the roof. Although, is there is there a photo of that in the in the book? I don't believe so, ah, but uh, I'm sure that we can we can reach out to Sam and see if he'll just send us a photo. <laughs> I'm sure, he has quite nice calves. Plus, send a feet pic. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> he remembers something for some reason, and then fishes the necklace out of his pocket for reasons because he needs it. <laughs> I think it's like being just kind of like a grounding tool because yeah. absolutely coming undone at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Linda, and then everything kind of goes quiet. Hands crash through the door and grab at him. Join us. It's Cheryl. Cheryl's back. Ash falls over and then fires through the door and Cheryl gets a good chunk taken out of her face. Again, this is just like a dummy and or Rob Tappet. I love Scott suddenly sitting up into frame with, yes. a, with a whoosh. Very, um, we're back. Very Undertaker. Yeah. And out somehow. We're going to put the Undertaker away. Oh! Undertaker sets up. Very Undertaker. For the, for the wrestling kids. They end up battling inside while Cheryl is pounding on the door. Ash jams his thumbs into Scott's eyes. Mm, that one's no thank you. <laughs> yeah. What did a, they make that out of? Do we know? I'm pretty sure that it's a, that it's mostly a fake head. Yeah. And that he's just pushing through goo. Goo. <laughs> human goo. <laughs> Not human goo. <laughs> no, it's human goo. It's Canadian goo. <laughs> and then Scott drops him and Ash pulls a piece of wood, a piece of branch out of Scott's belly. And then that's what kills Scott. Scott just collapses because all his blood fell out a hole. <laughs> I mean, you would. Ash sees the Book of the Dead near the fireplace smoldering. Cheryl comes in the door. Ash goes for the book, but Scott grabs him. 
And then Ash uses Linda's necklace to try to hook the book. <laughs> I guess we've got to use it for something, right? <laughs> Scott chews on Ash's leg, which is kind of gnarly. And then eventually he does catch the cover of the book and pull it towards him. The book changes in every fucking shot <laughs> in this sequence because it's not the same book. Because again, it's shot in many different locations. <laughs> He ends up throwing the book into the fireplace. Cheryl and Scott just freeze in place. Ash is almost stabbed in the face by Cheryl dropping a poker that she'd been wailing on him with. Yeah, the look on his face is funny though. And then both of their faces melt away in stop motion Mm. as the book burns. This stuff is pretty gnarly. It's interesting though because some of the stop motion is like different pieces that was shot at different times. So it's actually like the eyes are matte, they're composited, and the matte doesn't quite line up. So the eyes like shift back and forwards which is actually like a technical problem with it's like it's a a mistake but it actually adds this extra kind of weirdness to a couple couple of the shots that is in fact just porridge coming out of scott's (laughs) of course so all of this effects work they did almost no effects work at the cabin they had hired tom sullivan to come and do their makeup effects sam had kept the script secret from most everybody and when sam told him what he needed to do tom sullivan was like we can't do this here like there's no way we can do this here so tom sullivan only stayed three days and did some basic makeups at the cabin so then afterwards they had to do all of the all of the meltdowns all of the effects work most of the gore is all shot way up way afterwards it is surprising how well this movie cuts it's kind of remarkable that it exists like think about a similar but different situation is bad taste and think about how how not well that movie's come yeah. together and it's made in kind of a similar way yeah made like on weekends and everything is home everything is homemade yeah yeah this one you, works way better have you seen bad taste I, not that i remember by name there's a chance i could have seen bits of it but it's, I don't yeah we covered it on the podcast it's peter jackson's first movie I, that he shot yeah on weekends in his hometown about aliens that are here to harvest humans for intergalactic fast food it's a good time. That made it sound like more fun than it was. It is that fun. <laughs> it's just you. Tim Philo, the camera guy, ended up hooking them up with a guy that could do stop motion, who was this guy named Bart Pierce. And he worked with Tom Sullivan to create all the effects. And they were all just done in Bart's basement and garage. I love the giant hand erupts out yeah. of Cheryl's, <laughs> like they're being pulled, like, ap- pulled where apart. Are they? I was like, where are they? his hands coming from? It's also nothing, something that doesn't really come back. They don't really do that again. It's something that they, they probably could have. Two hands stab out of Scott's back as well. Cheryl topples forward and splats her brain into Ash's <laughs> face, which is such a good time. That is dog food. Her brain is dog food. <laughs> nice choice. We get bugs crawling out of them as they rot and change color, and we hear join us for the last time, but as it fades away. It's over. He won. Everything's a okay. Also, like the 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 book's tongue. The book. Oh yeah, sticks, it licks its eye. And, oh. yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a Gross. good time. So Ash gets to his feet, covered in blood. His friends and his sister are dead, but he's alive. So I'm sure it'll all be fine. Been a great weekend for Ash. Outside, the sun's rising. Ash wanders out of the cabin, looks at the sky, starts towards the car as he's limping. But the camera cuts to a very close up shot of a leaf. We hear a rumbling sound and the force roars towards the cabin. (laughs) Rushes through the back door of the cabin, bursts through doors inside, zooms through the whole place. Ash turns and screams and the force rushes into his screaming mouth. Cut to 
credits and fun 1920s jazz music. Yes. And yes, that, I, d- I did enjoy the uh, the credits music. <laughs> and that is the Evil Dead. That's not the original. What the plan was for the original ending of the movie. Okay. The original ending of the movie was Ash burning the book with the magnifying glass. When all the cast and crew left, they cut like ten pages out of the script that had more dialogue, and they had to improv a bunch of stuff. And they also got rid of the original ending. Sam had no idea how to end the movie. Josh Becker comes up with this idea. Right. Which is to rush through the cabinet into his mouth and then just slam to bike. He pitches it to Sam and Sam doesn't like that idea. Sam's like, no, nah, that's not it. But Rob Tappet forces Sam to shoot it just in case because they're leaving Tennessee. They have to shoot an ending to the movie. Otherwise, what the fuck are they going to do? Sam's like, okay, we'll just do it and I'll figure something else out later. Sam never figured something else like that. <laughs> so that ends up being the end of the movie. So it didn't didn't stay because he then saw it and liked it. He just couldn't come up with I think he's else. fine with it. He's fine. He eventually he was like, it's fu- it works. It's right? like with yeah. the, uh, the naming thing. It's like the least of the bad options. <laughs> yeah. That's the evil dead. We made it all the way through the evil dead. We did. We did. An appropriate age to have seen the evil dead. 17. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. An actual adult response. <laughs> this movie is rated R18 in Australia. It is still rated R18. This is also a movie that's notorious for getting an X rating in lots of countries mm. and then therefore not making it less available. In Britain, it was banned for quite a period of time as part of a thing called Video Nasties, which we will eventually talk mm. about in the podcast when we cover other movies that are in the, in that lumped into that group of movies. So an appropriate age 17 from from, from Joe. Yeah, I'm, I don't disagree. I think probably, yeah, it's sort of full teenager, so 15, 16. Certainly not a kid's movie. Our son, our son enjoyed it. <laughs> what is He's he, a, like two months? I mean, yeah, technically two months is perfectly fine, but, you know, he wasn't paying attention. He was looking um, at the screen. <laughs> the good thing is, is that because it is practical effects, the gore isn't as, I don't know, realistically gory. That's milk. Mm. I think that, like, the -the over-the-top nature of a lot of the gore does diminish it a lot, but there's also other scenes, like the rape scene, where it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, there's that stuff. I think that it's way more shocking in 1983. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. In 1983, there's nothing else like this. Yeah. Now, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is a TV show, has gore that is way beyond this, that is infinitely more realistic. Mm-hmm. Except for the occasional dodgy VFX shots. <laughs> and even Evil Dead Rise has stuff that is on like way goes way further than yeah. this. The cheese so that, grater. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The grater. Yeah. People that know that know and people that don't know will find the fuck out. That was one of the few scenes that when I saw it coming, I'm like, I don't need that image in my head. I'm just oh, gonna so, close my eyes so, <laughs> so so I think that it depends on when you found it, right? Yeah, for and we sure. kind of always talk about th- talk about things from the perspective of like when they ca- when they kind of came. Yeah, came so out, when they came yeah. out, definitely old. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was nineteen when I saw it, but I saw Evil Dead two when I was probably 14, 14 or fifteen. Yeah. So that would yeah. put me into that into that kind of. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think fifteen is, also, is good. Would you watch this movie again if you're in free will? Yes. Yeah, I think I'd probably prefer to watch the second one and beyond that rather than this one, but I didn't hate my time with this one. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't put it on, but I would yeah. watch it if you put it on. Do you remember how you reacted to Evil Dead 2? I do not. You were like, that was just a whole lot of movie. Like, there was just it is a whole lot of movie, to be fair. You were like, yes, that was definitely a movie that we just watched, <laughs> which is usually your code for, like, that was that was a lot. Yeah. It has a lot to process, though, that movie. Like, yeah. it's going so fast and then it goes so long. And even when they do, like, the end, that mm. ending scene in the into the, the past goes on for so long. Yeah. 
I think this movie I was more prepared for because I had already seen the other one and you had told me that the other one, that the second one recapped the first one. Mm. So. You're kind of prepared. I was prepared for what I was getting myself into. Mm. It would be interesting to know what my reaction would have been if I had been going in completely cold. A rating for this movie, the way that we rate movies, is on a five-star scale, with one being I hated this movie, two being I did not like this movie, two and a half being I liked parts of this movie, it was fine, three being I like this movie, four being I love this movie, five being this is one of my favourite movies of all time. I think probably like three, three and a half. So you'd love parts of this movie? Yeah. Like I love a lot of the craft of it, I love a lot of the moments. Um, there's definitely other parts I'm like, this is very early, but early like work. <laughs> yeah. There is an amateur um, quality yeah. to it. Yeah. One of the things that they talk about in the, in the Evil Dead Companion book is the fact that one of the reasons it's more interesting to talk about the making of Evil Dead than Evil Dead 2 is because Evil Dead was made by amateurs. Yeah. And you can Evil- tell it's just them trying things out and having fun and just really testing the waters and being more creative with it as opposed to just trying to be a movie and then evil dead 2 was made by professional was mm. made by professionals i watched evil dead last night to finish my finish my notes for this and then i watched evil dead 2 back to back and the thing that stood out to me about evil dead 2 is the cabin looks like a set mm. the cabin doesn't look like a real cabin the inside of the cabin is clearly built in a stu- built in a studio it has a polish to it that this movie does not have and so you're you know loving one or the other probably comes down to whether or not you prefer the polish or the or the or the raw version of the same kind of same kind of thing, and well, I'll talk about how I feel in a second, Kira. Because of the hand, uh, the homemade nature of it, it should be a three point five for me because I I like the behind the scenes stuff, but I know what I've rated other things on this podcast, so I have to give it just a three. Fair enough. And yeah, five stars. <laughs> this is a five star. <laughs> for oh you. yeah, absolutely. So is Evil Dead Two. So is Evil, so is Army of Darkness. Those three movies, so in me, every screenplay, every thing that I have written where somebody gets splattered with a liquid is from Evil Dead. Just like add another just, two gallons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of people getting, like, I love big blood spray in things, like, over the top, like, stupid. Buckets of blood. Buckets of blood. I love when it gets so over the top, it's ridiculous. It's one of the reasons that I really did like Evil Dead Rise mm. is because it gets so fucking ridiculous with blood. It's a five star. Wow. The making of the movie. And, yeah. Well, yeah, and I've ruined my rating for Evil Dead 2, Forever Cover, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. Uh, <laughs> I think it is highly likely that we will talk about this franchise when we do our end of year list. Nice. Yes. So, I know what happens next on the podcast. What happens next happens on the podcast? Next? We pick the next movie. Next episode. Yay! <laughs> the way that we pick movies is that my co-hosts alternate taking turns, picking for the three choices I have prepared from my home video store. This week it is Kira's pick. But Kira is not playing Kira. She's playing Jody. <laughs> because it's important to keep the integrity of the picks. <laughs> while it is Kira's pick, Jody is playing Kira. Cool. So Jody will pick our next movie. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so nervous. It's fantastic. I'm so nervous. <laughs> If a movie remains unpicked for three times, it's struck out and taken off the list. I can bring it back a late date on my choosing. Still on the list. Do you know what's on the list? Oh, I can't remember. I know um, that they let something go off the list that they, oh, uh, I am actually, so mad at them. Actually, I won't know what's on the list because the next episode hasn't come yeah, out yet. Yeah. Well, Highlander Part 2 hasn't come yeah. out yet, so you don't even know what the last the last picks were. Still on the list with two strikes is Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, that's still on the list. Two households, differences, dried plums and pears. In fair Manhattan, where we lay our scene. 
Two homes adrift in hate for 20 years, a score, awash in sin for long deprived of dreams. Once long ago, they planted seeds of hate, which bloomed to constant battles for revenge. Soon murder was the awful commonplace. And everything once real seemed like pretend. Deep within this storm, a loving tourist sparked, spawned in a box of glass one star-crossed night. I thought it got struck out. No, you're counting Highlander Part 2. As a second as episode. As a second episode. And it's mm-hmm. not. The Hidden with one strike. I want this car. Jonathan Miller would never do anything to break the law. I need the keys. Thank you. Bye. He's a very fine, very honest gentleman. Something strange is happening to some ordinary people. Yeah, that's Jack. Real nice man. What do you do, rob a bank? He's a law-abiding taxpayer, minding his own business. Killed 12 people, wounded 23 more, stole six cars, most of them Ferraris. If anybody deserves to go that way, sure in the hell's him. I've worked homicide for 13 years. I have never seen anything like this. You trying to tell me that she's fun in this? Step out of the car slow. I want answers, and I want them now. Explanation won't help you. I want to know why it takes 15 shots to take down some sold-out stripper. Why three law-abiding citizens all of a sudden go crazy and start killing people? Are we talking spacemen here? Something gets in his way, he kills it. Finds a body, gets inside, uses it to move around. a career in the police didn't really prepare you for this did it the hidden you think it's over now you're wrong killed 37 people robbed six banks two liquor stores and a record shop and stole two ferraris now the fun starts is that your version of Brody's trailer voice <laughs> good job it's not really a trailer voice it's a voice <laughs> It's, it's as good as his, honestly. We, we placate him. <laughs> New on the list. Ooh. What happened at the end of last episode is we had three R-rated movies, which we have not ever had before. So I was like, well, let's keep it R-rated. Okay. And let's keep it gross. Neither of you are going to be here. So we can pick whatever we want. <laughs> so you can pick whatever the fuck you want. Subjecting to the worst one. <laughs> Brody and whoever the guest is next week, probably just Adam, to survive. I am adding David Cronenberg's. Do you have a decoy tape? Always have a decoy tape. <laughs> David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is.
is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. hairs that were growing out of your back, I, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. one that you have tried to make me watch many times and have not succeeded in getting no this one i saw a single scene i think i might have been that mirror scene of yep. cam watching it recently yeah i'm not surprised that cam is a fan of that movie. <laughs> i don't is. know if he's a fan he's just been watching so many movies i think he's pretty much watched as many movies as there are days of the year so far be afraid be very afraid you should the fly he was half man half insect and completely terrifying responsible for so many things in rick and morty Choices, Tremio and Juliet, The Hidden, The Fly. Feel free to talk out your logic. What? Is there anything at risk? Tremio and Juliet is at risk. I would like you to pick this one. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> not, you know, you're not normally allowed to put your hands on the scale, especially for an episode that you're not. You know, I know, but Jodie's my pen pal, so oh, we have our own special connection and I can influence her as much as I like. Are you I wanting would, it to subject them to it or are you wanting it because you want to be able to watch it? I want to not be on the podcast that has to watch this, but I do want to hear the podcast where the boys have watched this. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was testing up between Tromeo and The Fly just because they're the two I know something about versus The Hidden. I think all, all three would probably be a fun time, but I don't want Tromeo and Juliet <laughs> to fall off the list Mostly because it'll come back on the list when I'm back on the podcast. You are playing me, so obviously I would pick that. That's true. That's um, true. I am. I am playing the role of Kira. I should be in, but in the scene. But I think Brody would probably pick the fly, even though he should pick Tromeo, but he hasn't seen it or, or probably well, then knows Brody anything can pick about the fly it. Fly at some other point when it's Brody's turn. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Let's do Tromeo and Juliet then. Done. That's it. Yay. Got her but it's some good reasoning. I thought it had been knocked off the list. I thought that I'd already <laughs> gotten myself into a situation where Keen will put it back on the list when I'm back on the show. So, what? so can, we, can we be clear about why you to don't want to be on the podcast when we do Tremor and Juliet? It's just not my kind of film. No, it's not. <laughs> at all. It's, it's really not. You have seen it, though. I have seen it. It's very, I don't even know how. It's it gross. Was. Yeah. No, it's gross. Yeah, it's a gross movie. It's perfect for the uh, for the trash boys. Yeah, boys club. Don't come back. Don't like. Don't subscribe. Do all the things. Do do do, do the things and follow us at Wiki Video. Jody, I was also a streamer. Would you like to plug yourself? 
Oh my goodness, yes. Okay, so I stream over on Twitch TV, uh, Sakali, S-E-K-H-A-L-I. And we'll link you in the description. Ah, oh, thank you. So you guys could all check her out. You can watch me die on very Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're also on TikTok. So, you know, TikTok's yeah, gross, but come over to TikTok now. and do things. And we are putting up classic episodes of the show on YouTube as our back catalogue on all the weeks that we are not releasing episodes. Working uh, on that. So you can you can do that if you want to be on the on the YouTube. <laughs> you can also just go outside and just, you know, make better life choices. Anyway. No, you should really just listen to our podcast and leave us a review so that Brody has to do the thing. Well, we kind of have a review that was left on Twitter, but I'm saving it until next week when Brody's here so he has to tell us a story. Ooh. Oh, yeah, smart. Yeah, okay. Cool. Join us. A. <laughs> and same. same.